right. And hello and good day, everybody. Thank you once again for attending a Merged Worlds Dungeons and Dragons story stream. Um, very excited to get into tonight's episode as we are now approaching some of what I would say are the key important moments that will affect and the effects of them will pretty much decide the storyline moving forward. It's going to uh, have an overwhelming effect on long term. So we're running into some very character uh, storyline building stuff for the individuals. So uh, we've already started with some of that. I'm excited to keep moving in. So um, we will do a very quick little recap, uh, a couple minutes to say where we ended off last time, and then we're going to jump right into it because I have a lot of really cool stuff I'm hoping to get to tonight. But I would like to begin again by saying thank you all very much for coming and hanging out on the stream. Um, or if you're listening to this later, thank you so much for giving it a shot. Uh, Merge Worlds is not only an important part of my life, uh, but probably the favorite thing that I get to do on the channel and get to share with everybody. So it means a lot to see so many people popping in and saying hi. Uh, if you do enjoy the story, please be sure to click like uh, and be sure to subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Also, it is available as an audio podcast on both iTunes and Spotify. Uh, so you can go to either one of those, the host of your choice, and you can follow the stream there, listen to them as an audio podcast. They're 100% free on there as well. Give them a like, give them a follow, give them a subscribe. Uh, if you uh, are listening to those there, uh, you've not actually seen the video streams, I do stream this on video on my YouTube channel as well. So you can definitely go to uh, Only Draven Gaming on YouTube and watch the actual video story of all the stuff I'm going to talk about. So, all right, let's uh, touch up from where we ended up last time. So, in our last adventure, our four heroes, uh, for those of you who knew, I'll recap a little bit, uh, Darsh, who is a minotaur, Artemis Silverstar, who is a female elven cleric of healing, uh, worships the god Tavian. Uh, there is also Mercy Harriton, who is a female warrior, daughter of a knight. Um, and then there is Dandelion Nettleleaf, known as Dandy, who is a Kender uh, rogue, per se. Uh, so there's that. Uh, it's weird being addressed as you guys watching the stream now instead of those of you watching later. <laughs> well, I, that's cool, though. I mean, I appreciate you listening to them in the backlog, and, and now you've caught up to the point that you can watch them live. That is awesome. Uh, we do this every other Sunday night, um, and I'm thinking about trying to plan something special for it for the Extra Life Charity 24-hour stream we do in November. I'm not going to talk much on that yet because I'm bouncing a whole lot of ideas there. But um, our four characters, our heroes, if you will, uh, traveled by boat that Darsh had purchased. He's now a captain of a small ship that he's named the Miss Dandelion. And they, are, they went uh, to a group of islands uh, a ways distance from where um, anyone has really traveled since the New World happened. Um, just south of elven waters that no one can go in except the elves because the elves don't take kindly to that. Um, and while they were there, they went there to basically stop a pirate's curse where they found there was actually a pirate lich. Um, they defeated the pirate lich. Um, the islands, no one else lived on any of them, but it used to be the pirate's camp back when the pirate lich was just a regular pirate and then the pirate lich. They then returned back to the kingdom of Arduel. Uh, friendly port. Um, on their way, they came across a minotaur vessel that was being attacked by a sea dragon. Um, 
even though the Minotaur vessel was much more equipped and armed to fight a beast of that nature, uh, Darst did not hesitate to bring his boat in to assist as well. And between the two uh, vessels, they managed to drive off the Sea Dragon. They did not kill it, but they did drive it off. They then continued to Arduel, where they had to repair the ship from the damage done by the battle with the dragon. Spending some time there, Artemis uh, kind of hung out in the temple and was teaching classes. She was asked to be basically a guest speaker for the week or so they were there, um, which she gained quite a bit of notoriety during that time. A lot of people coming from miles around to hear this uh, beautiful elven cleric uh, who's been out on many adventures. Um, most clerics live lives of solitude or quiet in, in temples and such, and so to have one as world-knowledgeable as Artemis um, was a good uh, example, and so the head of the temple asked her to do that. While they were there, uh, Mercy uh, met a young man named Ulrich, who she had helped almost two years earlier um, defend him, uh, assist him in defending uh, some children in a city that was being attacked by undead. Ulrich had given up uh, his place in the Knights to follow her uh, because he felt that she was, I guess you could say, a better role model. Uh, not limited by the rules and the laws of the knightdom, uh, she just fought for what was right, and he liked that, and basically swore fealty to her, and uh, became her first personal minion. Just as one of my minions just hopped up on the table, Little Patches is right here, we may see her in a minute if she decides to walk around a little bit. Hey, kitty. Um, so, Ulrich joined the group as the first, well, I should say the second NPC. We did have Michael many, many long times ago. Uh, but for currently, Ulrich is the only current member of that party. Um, as they were getting ready to leave Arduel, a, another Minotaur vessel showed up from the kingdom of Kronear with a message from the Emperor himself asking Darsh to come to Kronear uh, to meet with him. Uh, Darsh, you don't turn down that kind of thing. Uh, Darsh had yet to be to the Minotaur Isles, and so they accepted. They were en route to that, being escorted by the uh, Minotaur ship, which again, big ship. Uh, and one of the members of the ship was um, Rokar, which is uh, Darsh's cousin, who had been uh, he'd run into previously and was living on the uh, one of the islands. We're going to get more in detail about the Minotaur Islands as we get to them. Uh, but at night, as they were traveling, Dandy was on a little bit of her own sneaky mission, sneaking around the ship because she felt something was off. And sure enough, she uh, found... Oh, hang on. I'm sorry. I got a kitty climbing up on my belly. Hello. I, uh... <laughs> this may only be for a minute. She doesn't stay long. But basically... Good evening, Mr. Bond. Sorry, couldn't help myself. Uh, she discovered that there was someone hanging off the back of the boat... Uh, he had climbed up, and it turned out to be one of Darsh's uh, employees or minions, which was basically a, uh, it was a half-elf named Kevin, Kelvin, and he is, uh, was the basically second rank of um, lookout. Uh, they have a one who's a full-blooded elf, that's, that's even better, he does that. Um, <laughs> that's a cool cat. Thank you very much. This is Patches, she's the littlest one. Um, she's a tortoise shell. But, um, yes, yes, I see you. So, uh, she fall, climbed down to where he was, and sure enough, written on the uh, outside of the ship, she found uh, letters written in Elven, and because of Dandy's kind of personal mission against them, she recognized it as drow writing, uh, the uh, dark elves. So she said, uh oh, I better go tell Darsh. Now stuff's serious. 
And that's kind of where we ended off last time. So that's where we're going to begin. Um, which one is this guy? This is Patches. Now, Patches is here, Buffy is orange, and then Midnight, who's the big boy, he is all black except for a little tiny patch of gray hair on his chest. Um, this one's actually my wife's kitty the most. Patches adores my wife and spends 99% of her time following her around or sitting with her. So she doesn't come down here as often, so I try to give her attention when I can. Yes, I know you're there. So it helps that I have a belly that's a perfect spot for kitties to sit. So uh, again, if I'm as I'm going through the story, if you have any questions, anything pops up, feel free to throw them in chat. Uh, as long as it's not giving away anything in the story, I'm happy to go into detail. Um, we're going to talk about a couple little bits of the mechanics of D&D as we go through the story occasionally, uh, but mostly it's just kind of the story. And we're at a point where sometimes I'm reading to you the exact same information um, that I read to the characters. I'm reading off the same notes from back then. I have binders and books full of this story. Um, so you'll be hearing it pretty much the same way they were hearing it when we played this many, many years ago. So, let's see, I like your banner at the bottom. That new, yes, that was actually made by King Gaming, uh, one of our members. Uh, he put it in the fan art section, and I like it so much I've put it on uh, pretty much all of my different scenes now for all of my streams. So you'll see that banner there quite a bit often now, except for when I'm actually doing a gameplay, because then I try to show as much of the game as possible. So, all right, let me jump on into this story. So Dandy, of course, makes a beeline to Darsh's room and walks right in. Darsh, of course, is all still awake, fortunately. It's late, but Darsh is uh, looking over charts or whatever the case that Darsh was looking over. And she just walks in. His hand quickly goes to his weapon and then sees it's her, shakes his head. He's like, I thought I told you to knock. And she's like, I probably did, and you just didn't hear me. You never pay attention to what I'm telling you. And Dandy proceeds to tell Darsh what he what she found. Um, as soon as she makes him aware of the drow writing, and, and she, he's like, are you positive? It's not that I don't trust you, but I gotta know, are you positive that it was Kevin? Because yes, it was Kevin for sure. There's no doubt in my mind. I saw him clear as day. A photographic memory. You know me. Never forgets a thing. By the way, is this your pen? He's like, snatches that. Give me my pen. Yes. He's like, okay. He's like, stay here, I'll be right back. And a couple minutes later, he returns with uh, Dorum, who is his first mate, and Mercy, who is a little, she's, you can tell she just was just woken up with her and Artemis for sleep. They decide not to wake Artemis at this time because uh, they want to kind of make some, you know, they just want to go charging out there. And they begin kind of discussing what's going on because Darsh has to make a, a decision here. Do I go and grab Kevin? Are you made this story? Yes, I've been writing this for close to 30 years at this point. Um, so at that point, the you know they have to make a decision. Do we just go and face him with this? Do we pull him out and say, hey, what's going on? So on and so forth. Um, and that's one of course the things, that's what Dorham wants to do. Dorham's like, I do not like some type of traitor scum on our ship, Captain. I want to take care of this. Let's drag him up here. And Darsh is like, um, no, I don't think so. He goes, no, because I don't know if he's alone. He may have other allies on the ship, and if we let it known right now that we we know about this, we may ruin any chances uh, of catching any other conspirators. If they know we catch one and we're suspicious, then they may cease any type of actions that would let us catch them, kind of go to ground, if you will. So they say at this point they're going to continue to go on, although 
Um, they're going to pay extra attention to what Kevin is doing, especially who he talks to, you know, any actions, anything strange he may be doing. And Dandy is going to continue to keep an eye on him at night, especially. Uh, Dandy will make a point of napping a bit through the day so she can uh, keep an eye on him more at night because Darce trusts her implicitly. Her ability to stay hidden and be sneaky sneaky is overwhelmingly higher than nearly anyone else ever. Uh, Dandy's dexterity at this point was a little off the charts through some different magical items and things that they got um, as they were playing. She got some very lucky rolls. So Dandy was extremely dexterous. Um, much, much higher than a regular character would be. Now, some of her other stats were lower based on that. Um, but she was very dexterous. And she, her, uh, her thief stats, she put higher into fine traps and hide in shadows and move silently were her big three. So those were pretty much almost maxed out by this point. Um, along with climb walls. So... All right, so um, they continue on traveling, but for the next few days and such, as they're making their way to Kronear, uh, which again is the Minotaur Kingdom, uh, they do not find any other information, uh, or any Kevin doesn't do any, Kevin doesn't do anything else to let it be known that he's there. And again, it's Kevin. I need to keep saying that. I keep throwing a different letter in there, and I need to clear that because there's another character whose name is close to that. We'll meet later on down the road. I don't want to mix them up. So it's Kevin, K-E-V-I-N is the name of this half-elven uh, gentleman on the ship. All right, here we go. So, where were we? So I've got you running here. So as their vessel approaches Kronear, uh, the vast port city that shares the name of the nation, um, Darsh's heart fills with pride. Uh, large buildings, homes, and shops of expert minotaur design are everywhere. Um, so they're pulling up and immediately Darsh recognizes Minotaur construction. A, these are buildings with doors big enough he can walk in comfortably. And everybody who's a Minotaur wants that. Um, but as I've mentioned in the past, the way I run Minotaurs is I kind of consider them a mix between uh, like Klingons when it comes to the battle and the honor with a little bit of Ferengi thrown in there where they are very businesslike, um, but primarily very Roman. And that's, that's a big thing. Uh, so it's really more Klingon mixed with Roman. So there's a lot of the marble arches. They have the Colosseum. They have things of that nature. So there's a lot of white or quartz-like stones that you're going to see used in the construction. Not all, of course. They use wood and such as well. But uh, you're going to see a lot of that very Rome style of architecture um, in most Minotaur kingdoms. Now, of course, there's exceptions to every rule. Uh, but in this one here in Kronayar, that's, that's very much the case. Um, so a ship, uh, Darsh's ship pulls into harbor next to the Cyclone, which is the uh, Minotaur ship. Oh, you ready to hop down now? All right. Thank you. Thank you for the cuddles. Yep. Um, um, as directed uh, by the Minotaur on the dock. And, no, sorry, let me restart that. The ship pulls into harbor next to the Cyclone, as directed, and Minotaurs on the dock catch the lines and tie the ship off. So they're throwing the ropes off the sides of the ship. The Minotaurs super strong, pulling the ship in themselves as it pulls in, bracing it. Uh, everyone gathers, readies to disembark. Um, as the gangplank is lowered, a large group of noble-dressed minotaurs are awaiting down on the dock. Um, so, Darsh is, of course, not taking the whole crew out there. He doesn't know what's going on at this point, doesn't know exactly why they were summoned. Um, but he wants to, you know, kind of 
make sure that the ship is, the crew is there. I mean, looking around the port, there's several Minotaur ships there. They're, they wouldn't get out of port. If the Minotaurs don't want them to leave, they're not going anywhere. But at the same time, it's foolish to pull everybody off the boat, especially not knowing who's bad and who's good at this point. Because Kevin is one of the named crew. So by that, I mean that Darsh has crew that I literally have written down their names, their skills, so on and so forth. And then there's the miscellaneous crew, or Star Trek terms, your red shirts. These are people that sometimes will, out of port, will quit, then they'll take on new ones. These are more sometimes rotating, although Darsh has a pretty standard crew. People like what he pays, so he doesn't lose a lot of people. Uh, quick question here from Kick. How much time is an average D&D game, and how long is this one? Uh, the D&D game itself, um, I average six to eight hours uh, right now, the whole story itself took close to 25 years, with pauses and breaks in between. Of course, sometimes I'd stop for several months or even a couple years. I would still be writing, but I would then have a new group and I would continue the story from there. So that happens several times. Uh, but I normally would do six to eight hours. You like my Keanu? Yes, I got that. That is a digital frame that I scored at a Goodwill for 10 bucks, normally $50 that size. Brand new in box. They had another one that's a slightly smaller, a seven and a half inch frame. I bought it as well, same price. That one was wrapped, wrapped literally in plastic, had never been opened. I tested them, they both work good. The other one, I'm going to put pictures of my wife and I and such. But I put the important one with Keanu up there first. So it'll rotate between Keanu pictures. So getting ready to get off the ship, everybody's kind of dressed up nicely. You know what I mean? They're about to go meet, to best knowledge, an emperor. It's like walking up to a king you've never seen before. You don't show up in your civvies. You're going to put on your nice stuff. And everybody has some. Artemis has a fancier robe that she has, that she wears. And, you know, Darsh has, like, good belts. And, you know, make sure their weapons are polished and such. Mercy's the same way. She wouldn't be wearing the regular armor she uses while she's fighting. She may have more of a dress ceremonial thing. She's definitely going to have her weapons and such. Because everyone walking around in the Minotaur Kingdom is armed. So no one's going to ask them to take off their weapons unless it becomes a problem. Um, Ulrich uh, is dressed in clean dress clothes as well. Um, and one thing I needed to clarify, because I'd messed this up earlier, I had mentioned that he fought sword and shield, and I apologize, that's not correct. Um, he, he uses two scimitars. He dual wields, uh, and he uses two scimitars. He can fight sword and shield, but he prefers two scimitars. Uh, I mean, how much time the D&D game itself of this story, the session... I mean, this, I'm going to be telling the story for about two and a half hours tonight. Two and a half to three hours is what I stream each time. And I apologize with, if I'm misunderstanding your question. This story, this campaign, has literally been going for 20 plus years. It is one single story that different groups have played. And the story that I'm telling right now probably took place over multiple sessions. Although, thinking back, some of this was from 10 years ago. So it's hard to remember exactly how many hours we played back then. So if you're looking for that specific, I apologize. I don't have that information. Uh, it was just too long ago to know that kind of specifics. Uh, let's see. Uh, as they all walk down the dock, uh, the largest of the mentors says Ford, and you can tell by his clothing and how he's dressed, he's definitely someone of high rank. Um, and he greets Darsh. Oh, actually, uh, from the merge to now, these characters have been around for two to three years. In game time, that is accurate. That's correct. So since the merge, um, it would be closer, yeah, closer to three, three, a little over three, three and a half. Because remember, they were they were dead for almost eight months, uh, six to eight months. So there's that spawn in there. Well, the story itself, um, probably, 
Um, like I said, I'd say they're probably closer to three and a half to four years total. Because when they first started this, they were all in their late teens, early 20s, and now they're getting close to their mid-20s. Um, um, so, greetings, Captain Fohammer. He introduces himself. He goes, his name is Senator Carrick. Um, and on behalf of Emperor Kron Orksplinter, that's the Emperor's name, I welcome you to Kronayar. Um, introduces several of the other people there. Uh, nothing super important. And he says, uh, if you will accompany me, uh, our, your carriage is awake. And there are some very fancy carriages. Uh, and they are pulled by uh, very large horses. Um, and as the, you know, they all climb in, there's, it's, they have to get in several. Uh, Darsh gets in one, and Rokar comes as well. And that's one thing. He comes on the ship, and as Darsh's kin, he is definitely invited to this. This is an honor to be invited to a private meeting with an emperor. Um, that is an honor that would not just honor him, but honor his family line, that whole kind of thing. So, of course, um, as his other, you know, um, kin, really the only kin on this world, he would be there as well as to kind of help stand in that honor. So, um, as they're traveling through the city, because they're making their way up to the, the emperor's palace, if you will, um, you know, they pass through, like I said, it's a very, very large, not just physically, but it's a big city. This is the capital city um, as well. Um, and the, the, the keep itself, the emperor was kind of up on a hill. They also passed by this massive coliseum. I mentioned that earlier. Minotaurs, that kind of thing. Uh, it is historic that an emperor is chosen through combat. Uh, so, you know, there could be something, if, if, uh, if someone, say an emperor dies, it doesn't get passed to his son. The son may want to fight for that as well, but it's going to go um, by that. And you can challenge the emperor for that status, but you can't just walk off the boat and say, hi, I've never fought anybody here, I want to fight the emperor. You have to, you have to earn that rank. You have to fight in the Colosseum to get to a level to earn the um, privilege of challenging the emperor. So uh, you've got to win a lot to even get to that, but it's, it's a very hierarchy system. Um, I mean, uh, non-hierarchy, so there's not like royal families. The emperor's family is royal, of course, and they're almost always going to be a noble. Which is how it works, because A, I mean, even though you've got great warriors of all stats, nobles, like anything else, are going to have the best trainers, the wealthier you are, so on and so forth. So they arrive at the keep, and they go through these massive double doors. To Darsh, they're just double doors, but to everybody else, they're massive double doors. Um, and they go through, and... Uh, they go through a little ways. They get to basically what is a throne room. And then uh, sitting on that throne is a red minotaur. So he's got very red, very red hair. And he's big. Uh, not like in a fat way, but in a massive way. He is much larger than Darsh. And you know, when you first think emperor or king, okay, cool. This is a dude who's just ripped. Um, and by far the biggest minotaur any of the humans and kenders and elves have ever seen. They've seen a lot of big ones just while they've been here. But this is a this is a huge guy. Um, strongest doesn't equal smartest if there's a situation where dumb, incredibly strong mentor rules the kingdom. Well, again, strategically, that's another thing. I mean, it's there's going to be other... Uh, it's not just all combat. It's going to be basically games. you got everything from your racing, strategy, so on and so forth. Chess is very common um, as a form of combat. Uh, to actually challenge in that nature. But any final decision is going to be a battle for, for supremacy physically. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of steps. Like, so that's why there's that hierarchy. You can't just say, Hi, I'm 15 now. I want to choose the, to fight the emperor. You've got to prove yourself in several different statuses before you ever earn that right. At least that's how I run this. 
That may not be the same in everybody. That's not a Dungeons and Dragons thing. That's a Merge World thing for me specifically. So other people may play it very, very differently. Some people play Minotaurs as basically barbarian type with roving, barely any type of structure at all. I don't like that. I see them much more noble-like, and so I enjoy that very much. Uh, but how much taller than Darsh? Uh, he's probably at least a good foot and a half taller than Darsh. This is head to head, not counting horns. And he's got uh, both of his horns are busted, but at different lengths. If you remember, Darsh's one horn is snapped off halfway up. Uh, but his are more curved, uh, and one's a little bit longer than the other, but both of them are, are, are broken. Although at the end of each one, he has like a golden or silver cap that's probably jeweled. You know, that's a common thing. Some people will drill through it and put a little hole, uh, like a ring and such in there. But for combat purposes, you see that in video games a lot, like World of Warcraft and stuff. That just weakens the horn. That makes a break point. From a combat point of view, that's asinine to drill a hole to put jewelry through your horn. That doesn't make sense. Your nose, yes. But through a tusk or horn, that wouldn't make any sense. That's a weak point that now, if you're using that as a weapon, it's a stress point that you could cause it to break. So you rarely do you see a minotaur do that, unless it's at the point where it's already busted down to a nub that it's not that usable. Um, or if they're old enough that they're technically retired, they may do that at that point. So, so a little bit more about minotaur life, and we're going to talk a little bit about that again as we continue. Uh, so they walk up. As they get in there, there are several other Minotaurs there. Uh, Senator Carrot goes up and joins them. From the way they're dressed, it's very easy to see that they, there's three or four of them that they're probably all some type of senators and such. Again, very Rome-like. We have an emperor, but there's also a senate, and they work hand-in-hand -hand to rule. Um, welcome, friends, says the emperor. Which, again, let me go back and tell you his name. Kron is his name. Uh, Orc Splitter. You know, most people's last name come for a reason. Um... You do me much honor by being here. Uh, allow me to introduce a few people. And he introduces, of course, we met Senator Carrick, there's Senator Borum, Senator Locke, and Senator Farron. Um, and there's also Ambassador Creel. So Ambassador Creel, we'll get to that. But these are people that he introduces. These are important people. Um, and wants to make him aware of them. Darsh, of course, is hello, so on. Introduces his people. Some of the mentors look a little dubious. Like, okay, you got a Kender in here? I don't understand that. But elves... Even though they're not probably not big on elves, it's easy to see that's a cleric. And even minotaurs aren't stupid. They all understand the gods, so definitely they're going to show respect to Artemis. Um, so they get all those introductions. Uh, chairs are brought forward for each of them and set down. Uh, once seated, and I want to point out that once seated, uh, these are big chairs. The minotaurs uh, expected humans, so they got slightly smaller than normal chairs. But many of these characters are small even for humans. You know, Mercy's not that big. Artemis isn't that big, and Dandy's tiny. Um, you know, uh, Ulrich is a good notch above Mercy and Artemis here. So, um, they sit down in their chairs, so on and so forth. Uh, chairs by forward. Uh, once the Emperor speaks again, um, I've heard many things about you and your companions, Darsh. In a small period of time, it seems you've become an ally to the humans of multiple nations. You fought with them, and you fought for them. Uh, you travel with a Kender, human, and elf. Now, he never mentions anything that they're female. And again, I want to stress that. Minotaur society, male or female, doesn't matter. Emperor can be empress. Um, I run that straight up. Minotaurs, don't give a damn. You can fight, you're the same. Your crews, uh, your army, your military, mixture. There's probably going to be more male than female. That's just the way that works. But in no way is a female automatically consumed, uh, considered less of a warrior or less equal in their eyes because they're a female. Um, it's in many of the human worlds and in the elven worlds, 
Probably dwarves as well. Dwarves not as bad. That can happen. But in minotaurs, they don't give a damn. You can pick up a sword. You can stab somebody. You're fine. Um, says uh, the four of you. Because they ignore Ulrich. Because he doesn't have, haven't heard of Ulrich. Nobody knows about Ulrich. He's new. Uh, I've heard of I've heard of the four of you. Of tales and stories told of you. Uh, all things say that you are honorable and courageous, and this is good. And everybody's like, okay, this is good. Yes. Everybody nodding their head. These are good things to hear. You single-handedly defeated a filthy assassin who's attempted to weaken the Empire. You served us well on that day. And you'll remember that Darsh helped kill Craig. And I want to stress that. K-R-A apostrophe A-G. Not Craig, like C-R-A-I-G. My friends always made hell for that. They always come, Craig. <laughs> Craig, the Minotaur. And now you, you, and now you captain your own ship. Your crew is of mixed races, all serving under your banner. Because he does have a banner. He's, he flies the um, faux hammer banner with minor alterations, as would happen being of different uh, you know, generations. Um, and finally, you and your companions and the crew selflessly attacked and helped defeat a sea dragon in defense of a Kronear vessel. All of your actions show you to be an ally of the Emperor, or sorry, of the Empire, and this is no small thing. While you may live among the humans, you are still a minotaur, and you are welcome in Kronear any time, and are considered a loyal citizen. Um, which is a thing. Just showing up saying, hi, I'm a minotaur, I'm one of you, doesn't always, ha you know, you still got to prove yourself. If you don't have a family line or someone who can vouch for you, especially after Merge World, minotaurs just bumble up out of other worlds. They're like, okay, we don't know you. You're going to have to prove yourself. You start at the lowest and you work your way up. If you've got, again, a clan that wants to take you in, um, that can help. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically equal to them being adopted, but it can definitely help you if, if you maybe you serve a clan or, or come in that way and that clan uh, says, okay, yes, this family of Minotaurs, we accept him in as part of our family. He's basically extended family. Uh, so he will be shown the respect and honor of that clan, though he will not have the strength of, of uh, decision-making and power, sway over the money, that kind of thing. Um, tonight, the Emperor says, there will be a banquet in your honor and that of your, of your companions. Until then, you are welcome here in my home as my guests. And this is a big thing. Darsh has, Darsh has hoped that he was going to get some recognition for what they'd done. Not that he'd done it for that reason, but being summoned here, he'd hoped it was for that and not something negative. You know, Darsh, you're hanging out with humans. We don't like you anymore. Come here, you've got crimes against you. That's always an issue. Who knows, right? Uh, Craig was loyal to us, you know, that kind of thing. But no, he's like, no, we're going to have a banquet, Your Honor. We're basically giving you a rank of loyal citizen. Very cool. Darsh is like, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I accept. Uh, it is good to be amongst my own people. He had a little speech uh, that he, he'd prepared for this because we took a pause between, and, and she did a great job of writing his, his little speech of what he wanted to say, and I don't remember the words, but it was very, I'm honored to be here, I'm part of that, so on and so on. I'm happy to be a part of this, and, and, and accept your welcome, and thank you very much. Uh, Kick says, sorry, I'm going to go early today, I'm too tired, guess I'll watch the re-upload. Okay, yeah, no problem, have yourself a good night, Kick, thanks for coming by. Um, so there's a little bit of questioning back and forth, they chat for a few minutes, and then, uh, uh, the emperor says, "Excellent. Uh, my guards will show you to your rooms, as you may rest, so you may rest and freshen up." So they're being given rooms in the empire, and and it's one of those things like, and we'll send someone to your ship, letting them know you're going to be here a couple of days, which Darcy assumed has left Dorham in charge as always, but you know that kind of thing. Uh, they'll be taken to the rooms. There are baths, there are beds, um, you know, large beds. 
Dandy loves the fact that her bed's huge. It's a minotaur bed, you know what I mean? So she's he's big into that. Um, they chat for a little bit and so on and so on. Um, after they're there for about an hour, there's a knock on Darsh's door. And he opens it. And standing at the door is uh, Senator Borum, which was one of the senators that was up there to begin. You know, that was introduced. Uh, Nebulasar, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you very much. Thank you for coming by. So Senator Borum is there and says, Captain Fulhammer, if you're not too tired, I would speak with you. Do you have a moment? And Darsh is like, okay. Darsh was wondering if he would get us any type of separate call because this is all nice and fancy and such, but there's always something more to it. Hello, Buffy. Good morning. Or good night. Um, so Darsh follows the sender and they just pleasant chatting. Oh, what's the name of your ship? Uh, yes, excellent. How did you come across that? Blah, blah, blah. I hear you've been to this city. What was kind of cool? Nothing that would be like, tell us about their armies, what are their navies like, none of that kind of stuff. But just casual conversation as they walk through the halls and out into an area that is uh, really an, an inside garden. I mean, it's got like a, an opening, of course. Uh, so it's, it's a garden in the middle of the thing. It's very pretty. There's a big water fountain and such. There's benches and flowers all over the place and such. Well-tended, fancy garden. Um, he asked Darsh, may I call you Darsh? And he's like, yes, of course, by all means. He goes, excellent, you may call me Senator Bourne. Um, and he asks questions like, how does it feel to be back amongst your own kind? Ah, oh, it's comfortable. I don't hit my head on doors and such. But, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see familiar faces and, you know, that type of thing. Um, how, what do you think of the keep? Do you like it here? You know, it's very, very pointed questions, but nothing important. They finally get to that garden and they're hanging out and Darsh goes, Darsh, I wonder if I may speak with you about a very important and sensitive matter. Darsh says, yes, please, by all means. We've been watching you for quite a while now. The death of Craig at your hands was the first sign. Your actions defending our country's ship helped confirm it. As you may know, there is a dissension within the Empire. Kronayar was originally three separate kingdoms. The Great Change, which is what the Minotaur called the Great Merge. The Great Change put us all here together. Minotaur from different worlds, side by side. Um, Kronayar is the island on which they stand right now. Um, Draylock Island is to the east, and the Isle of Zithanth is to the west. Um, at first there was battle on both land and sea. Many lives were lost. The leaders of the three kingdoms came together as each kingdom wished to rule the others. Eventually it was decided that all three would join as one to be ruled by the mightiest of us. The arena ran red for 14 days until Emperor Kron took the crown. And as he was at the time the emperor of Kronear the island, uh, that became the capital and the whole thing became the kingdom of Kronear, which it was twice the size of the other ones anyways. Since then Kronear has flourished. We settled the seas around us, then we discovered the humans. The Emperor knew we would be best served by trading with these lesser races. They have many goods we need, and they are too strong to take it by force. And it's important that Heath Borm says that right out, because Minotaurs aren't one to say we're weak. You know what I mean? Oh, hello again, Patches. Um, it's one of those things where he's, if he says that, it, he's just being honest about it. This decision to deal with the humans was accepted by, uh, with much criticism at first, but soon the gold made by trade as well in, as demand in human goods turned most of our people around. So they started trading openly with the kingdoms, getting goods that they didn't have, and they're selling a lot of their goods 
money started to talk. And people were like, hey, this isn't too bad, trading with the humans. And hello, Katzen. But not on Zethanth. They refused to trade with the lesser races. They decried any type of alliance, and they called for the old ways to take it by force and start open war with the humans. Eventually, many gave in and accepted the Emperor's rule, but then came the Black Horn, an underground resistance that would do anything destroy, to destroy what we have built. They are based somewhere on Zethanth, but their influence is felt throughout the Empire. It was of the Black Horn that Craig held his allegiance. They used magic and dishonorable deeds to reach their end. And I must admit, they are feared. Um, so, again, uh, these are things that Minotaur normally wouldn't openly admit. So Darsh is like, okay, we're, we're talking straight to the point here. Uh, Luna saved my life because I was not feeling so good and now I can sleep well. Well, I'm happy that I can help put you to sleep. <laughs> Hope you get to feeling better. Um, so here we go. The Emperor wishes to join the Human Alliance. Humans have reached out to us. They would like to extend what they call their um, alliance of the southern kingdoms, and they would like Kurniar to be part of that. And the emperor wishes to join. He feels it's the best course for our people, but the Black Hand have too much influence for us to just easily enter into that type of an agreement. That's where you come in, Darsh. Booms a deep voice from behind him. Darsh turns and or casually rises and turns to see that the Emperor is stepping up as well. So now it's just these two guys and the Emperor chilling here. We need to show the Empire that allying with the humans is a good thing. We have to prove that we will not be cheated and that the humans are dealing with us fairly. Oh, got a notification. Hey, Katzen, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for the donation. That is awesome. Thank you for coming by today. Oh, goodness. Oh, flusters me when that happens. Um, you have shown by your actions that you are loyal to the Empire, and I would ask you to assist us, or to aid us in this matter. And Darsh is like, okay, well, I can understand. How is it that I can help you? And the Emperor goes, I would grant you title and land, make you a minor noble of this kingdom. Your deeds have earned you this, so it is not a false gift. I would also name you as able to speak at our table, as well as that of the humans. The human kingdom of Thorman has already given you title. We shall use this to show that our kind are respected and honored by the humans. If they view us as a noble, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. By accepting this honor, you will be, you will be swearing allegiance to the Empire and taking an oath to never act against it. Now, Due to your allegiance with the humans' kingdoms, we would never expect full fealty. We would never expect you to join us against them. I will not ask that of you. But I would expect full neutrality in any conflicts between Kronayar and the humans. So if something happens and we go to battle, somehow there's a disagreement, there's an argument, you're going to take a neutral stance. We're not asking you to join us against the humans, but you will not join the humans against us. We're asking for honest neutrality in that situation, which you can see the benefit of. Uh, so, in return, you'll receive rank and title. You'll be free to sail our waters and consider Kronayar a friendly port. You have gained and achieved much in your young life, Darsh. I see the fire in your eyes, and this pleases me. I sense your ambitions. What are your dreams, my young friend? What do you seek for yourself in this vast new world? 
So the Emperor and Darsh took a few minutes to really just sit and chat. What is it you want out of this world? Here we are, this whole thing is new. You, know, you have a free port with us, you have a free port with three different human kingdoms at this point. Technically, Fire Moon as well, even though there's no way to get your boat up there. Um, so you have really an open port everywhere, and not everybody has that. What is it you're looking to get? What is your end goal? And this was an honest conversation. I already knew some of this because the uh, young lady who was playing the character of Darsha told me kind of some of this stuff. But this was a way for me to get it out in the open to bring it into the story. Because we had discussed it long, long earlier and, and her getting, uh, hurling Darsh getting a boat was really the first step of that. And um, Darsh says, you know, yes, he agrees to this. He goes, yes, I, I, I would be honored to do that. Plus, being named as even the lowest level of, of um, noble, that's a huge honor, right? And that's just not an honor for him. That's an honor for the whole family, right? That's something that would pass on to his children. Rokar now gets to claim that. So him and his family, that's a claim to nobility. So if down the road, Rokar decides he wants to split off and become his own house, which can happen. He's doing that with a noble. He has that option to kind of do that kind of thing. So um, this is a huge thing for Darsh and his family. And he also sees how it'll benefit his friends being open port to here. I mean, that when they're searching their quests, who knows when they're going to need Minotaur help. Jim asks, has the company decided that going home is out of the question? If that's okay to ask. No, that's an incredibly good question. And all of them are on that goal. All of this is to set up, but they don't know if that goal's ever going to be even possible. Zoltan said, find me these weapons, and with them I may be able to fix it where we can go back home. He didn't even give them a guarantee. He doesn't know how, they don't know how long that's going to take, and if it'll even work. What's going to happen with this? Plus, they've lived here for so long at this point, they have allies, they have friendships. It feels a little bit more like home. For some of them who traveled a lot even before, this feels like a second home. So they're viewing it as, okay, if I don't get to go home, what's the best that I can do here? You know, what's the best that I can do and what are my goals that I can rebuild? No, get off. Sorry, I got a kitty trying to climb up on a monitor. No, 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 no. Bad. Oh, stinky kitty. Ah, gross. She has bad gas. Okay. Back. All right, so... Darsh says, yes, I would be happy to do that. But you've asked me, is there anything that I want that I'm go? what am I looking for? And Darsh asks for something specific. And I knew this was coming. We discussed this. Darsh asks for islands. Darsh says, far to the west... There is a set of islands that I've discovered that no kingdom currently lays claim to. Um, they're a good distance away from Arduel and Kronear. And at this point, while they don't belong to anyone, I would like to claim them as my own. Set them up as my own personal base, as a location to trade from. Because Darsh he comes from a family of merchants. His father had a huge merchant empire. They had pretty high rank at that point. Darsh was set to take that over as the eldest. Since that's gone, he kind of has had his eye on being able to rebuild that 
here on the New World. Uh, Jim said, oh, hello, Infinity Wolf. Good day. Smelly Cat, Smelly Cat. What are they? <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she's a stinky one. Um, so, Dor uh, Senator Borum and the Emperor are like, I we didn't even know these islands are here. Can you give me an idea of where they are? And Dart's like, yeah. Whoosh, whips out a chart. Not really. Draws in the dirt, you know. He says, and they're like, these are well outside of our lands and our waters. Technically, they're not ours to give you. But if you do wish to claim them, Kronayar will not dispute that claim. Um, in fact, you being a noble of Kronayar, if you claim these, that kind of makes them Kronayar at that point. That's extending our kingdom. Granted, it's a distance away, but... Part of Kroniar means that's a friendly port for us as well, as we all the nations expand our access to this world around us. That's not too bad, especially since we don't want to go through the elven waters either, because the elven ships are the only ones that could hand up handle a navy fight most of the time with a minotaur ship. Just because of the magic and the archers and all that stuff. Um, so they're like, we have no dispute with that. If you wish to take those islands for yourself, um, you may do so. We will, we will, we're perfectly fine with that. Darsh goes, then yes, I accept all those terms. Excellent. We are of an accord then. I shall make the announcement at the banquet tonight. Uh, Katzen, I'm just letting the stream on and listening to it while I go to sleep. Oh, 2.45 a.m. Well, I hope you get some rest. Uh, Senator Bourne places his hand on Darsh's shoulder. You are declaring yourself an enemy of the Darsh, of the dark, uh, the black horn, Darsh. They already want you dead, and this will make them actively work against you. Are you sure you want to do this? Darsh, of course, does the whole, I'm not sure, no minotaur. <laughs> yeah, Darsh, honor like, of course, bring the battle to me. I will show them. The emperor quietly laughs. I knew we'd made the right choice. The only thing we have to worry about now is Senator Locke. The senator from the Isle of Zethenth. Met him earlier today. He may challenge my proclamation, as is his right. If so, he may challenge you to fight one of his warriors. Are you up to that? And of course, manly, ha ha, bring him on kind of stuff. And but honorably, yes, yes, I will face whoever need be. If he, if he wants to test my strength, then I will show it to him. And they're like, cool. So uh, Darsko is then taken back to his room by the senator, bid the emperor well. We will see you in a few hours for the thing. He immediately pulls in Rokar and his friends, but Rokar especially, and tells him this. Rokar is ecstatic. He's like, you're shitting me. Like, nobles? And he's like, yes. Also, he explains, I've decided I'm going to take those four islands where we found the lich. And they're like, what? He goes, they're a perfect location to try to connect these different kingdoms. They're away from everyone else, so it allows me to be neutral. I can op I have open ports everywhere. Now I have an open port here. It could be a great central hub to build a place to live. And they're, they're like, wow. And this is the first time when, of all of them, Darsh is like, I found a house I want to live at. Because at that moment, the other three have to sit there and be like, that's really cool. I'm not sure I'd want to live there. And there's a just a brief moment of silence while they all kind of look at each other awkwardly, because this is the first moment where they realize there may come a time when they're not going to be staying together anymore. They may go their different ways. But Darsh's excitement, Rokar's extra excitement, because he's got a wife and kids. He's happy about this. He's like, holy hell. And they're, they're excited for their friends. So, of course, they're like, this is awesome news. Excellent. 
Uh, Mr. Tibbles, finally caught me live. Amazing Sky Factory videos. Well, thank you very much. Glad to hear that you've enjoyed them and that they've been helpful. Thank you for coming by the stream today. So everybody gets dressed back up in their fancy goodies. They all bathe and clean or whatever. And uh, a few hours later, Minotaur arrives to escort them back to the Great Hall. Um, the Great Hall is not where they met the Emperor. That's another Great Hall. This Great Hall is even bigger. Uh, it's been wonderfully decorated and filled with tables. There's at least a hundred Minotaur in the chamber dressed in their best. You are escorted to a table next to the head table and seated just a few chairs away from where the Emperor's uh, table is. So obviously you're sitting very close. That's noticed by everybody. That and the fact that you're walking, you know, with human and two humans, male and female, an elf and a kender. And Rokar. Rokar's fine. They're not judging Rokar. Rokar's wife is also there. And this is the first time that Darsh gets to meet her. Um, now, she was originally from Kronayar. That's where he met her. She'd grown up on this island. She was, um, how do I say it? She wasn't like poor or anything. She was just a middle class. You know, she wasn't a noble. She wasn't like, she was a daughter in her family. They had some type of trade business. Father was a ship's guy, something like that. Uh, but her name is Sasha. So Sasha Fohammer is the name of her. And Darsh doesn't get to meet him, but their son is Lorne, L-O-R-N, Lorne Fohammer. Uh, they got a babysitter. They're not going to bring a kid to this. Uh, but he's very excited to meet Sasha, um, and she's very, very pleasant. Rokar's big, you know, grinning like, hey, this is my wife, Darsh. You know, he's very excited to show it off because, again, he got married and all this stuff with her family, He's had no family here when any of that happened. Darsh is his only family on this world that he knows of at this point. So he's very excited. Plus, again, Darsh was to be the head of the family. He was going to take over for his father. Rokar is a cousin, like a son of the younger brother. Seventh son, seventh son kind of thing. So he was a long way away from taking over. So right now, it's kind of putting him in second control. And Rokar's like, hey. So, um... The Emperor's not yet arrived, but Senator Borm greets you, uh, greets him. I say you because, again, I, I wrote this as, this is how I read it to them. So when I say you, I mean the characters. Uh, <laughs> greets them and then uh, sees that their chalices are filled. Uh, looking around the room, they see there's minotaurs. Uh, they see the minotaurs from Zathanth. Uh, Senator Locke is sitting next to a massive minotaur, uh, easily the biggest in the room, though not quite as big as the Emperor. Locke's eyes continuously seem to fall back on... Darsh's party. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Look, but, you know, not obviously, but every time he looks around, he's like, hmm, oh, hmm, oh, and he keeps coming back there. A few minutes later, trumpets can be heard, and everyone rises as the emperor enters. Taking a seat, he motions to everyone else to sit. Immediately doors open around the room, and several young minotaurs start bringing in uh, plates of food bearing meats and cheeses and fruits and more wine and all that kind of stuff. Very tasty food. They're showing off. Everyone starts eating. That goes on for a little bit. There's a couple, you know, speechy things, small stuff. But then the emperor rises, and the place goes silent. Um, the emperor begins to basically give his speech of the night. Talks about um, the importance and the future of Kronayar on this new world. How we are obviously the most powerful race, and people are, there you know, that kind of stuff. That, you know, he's definitely doing some fan service. Taking our place as... One of the leading races here. And people are like, yes, what do you mean one of? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but he's talking about the future and the things of that nature. Um, 
And he says, to this end, I would like to introduce our guests this evening, or my guests this evening. Um, he introduces each one. This is Darsh Fohammer, who is the blah, 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 also considered a noble under Thormund, starts reading off his deeds. Also mentions his cousin, and mentions Darsh's friends as well, but doesn't really tell their deeds. Darsh's deeds get recited, and they go back over some of these things. Single-handedly defeated an assassin. You know, and everybody's cheering. Zathant's like, yay, you know, that kind of stuff. Because not everybody on Zathant's a jerk. Just most of them. Uh, Captain says, uh, almost asleep and realized your wife has surgery tomorrow. I'm praying. Well, thank you very much. Yes. Uh, I have to be up very early. Uh, her surgery is in the morning. <laughs> um, so again, he's telling you the deeds, mentions cousins, he's building up, and everybody's like applauding the stuff and fighting a dragon, and oh, yeah, that's, I heard about that, and so on, and, you know, because these things get around quick, right? And he goes, because of his deeds and actions, it is clear that the Fohammers are not only loyal subjects of the Empire, but its champions as well. There's applause, you know, because he's been actively acting like a hero. And when the Emperor says this guy's honorable, you take that seriously. So it is my honor to announce that Darsh shall be given the title of Lord and that the Fohammer will be added to the list of the fifth rank. So the fifth rank, in my world, is the lowest form of noble. There are five ranks, and then there's the Emperor's clan itself. If an, if an Emperor loses position, they don't wash out of that. They will normally drop down, drop down to a first or second rank, depending on where their status is after the games to determine who the new emperor was. So there's that. Um, it is very common that if an emperor does die uh, suddenly, like in battle, which is normally how it happens, um, there's usually someone of the emperor's family who will step in in place until the new one can be chosen. Um, that person is normally nominated well ahead of time, and the senators are aware of who that's going to be. So it's not a surprise when someone's little brother or their cousin steps up and takes over. That's, that's known already. When you're the emperor, you've got to have a backup. Uh, so the room fills with applause. Okay. Darsh's motion to stand. Darsh stands up. There's hooting and yelling and stomping, feet and hands and all that kind of stuff. Looking around the room, Darsh sees that most Minotaurs seem to be very pleased by the announcements. Here and there, though, he sees faces where the grins seem a bit forced and the applause a little less enthusiastic. Nowhere is this more evident than at the Zithanth table. Scowls openly sit on most of its occupants' faces. Uh, Rowdy says, Okay, I just started watching five seconds ago and I'm confused. That's understandable. <laughs> this is episode 21. There's about 40 to 50 hours of this story already. There's a lot going on. Um, but thank you for coming by the stream. <laughs> There's a lot of backstory to this so far. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, where were we? Bah, 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 bah. Slowly, Senator Locke rises. Seeing this, the, applo the applause slowly start to fade. Down to the room goes silent again. The Emperor looks depleased, but not overwhelmingly surprised. You wish to speak, Senator Locke. Thank you, Your Eminence. I would. And he has a very... Um, uh, for the record, because again, many of you will know that I use um, actors and actresses or famous people uh, to represent what the people physically look like. Um, minotaurs, it's a little harder to do that. So with Minotaurs, a lot of it is voices. Um, so Jeremy Irons is the voice who I use for Senator Locke. If you've ever heard Jeremy Irons, especially as Scar in um, 
the uh, uh, Lion King, that's the type of voice you're hearing from Senator Locke. Uh, turning to Darsh, the senator nods and says, A great honor indeed the emperor grants you today. I'm sure the emperor feels you deserve every bit of it. But with regret, I must object on behalf of Zathanth, if not all of Cronair. Whispers and mumbling fill the chamber. Uh, the emperor raises his hands. And once again, there's silence. It is your right to do so, senator, but on what grounds? Locke's face splits into a wicked grin. Why proof, my lord? Verification. The deeds you speak of are mighty indeed, but who among us has witnessed them? These are human tales, and as such cannot be trusted. As for the defense of our vessel, how are we to know what part uh, was played by the human vessel? And that's a slide that they're saying Darsh's vessel is a human vessel. Our ship had fought the dragon for hours. It could very easily have been defeated by the actions of our own honorable crew, had this ship not arrived. Stepping forward, almost preaching to the crowd, he continues, most importantly, he's never participated in honorable arena combat, a requirement of all who would lay claim to any form of nobility. As, you, as he speaks, Darsh starts to notice that some of the heads are nodding in agreement, like, well, that's kind of true, you know, because he's making good points. Now, I am not saying Captain Fulhammer is not worthy of such a title, only that he has not earned it with his own kind. The Emperor steps forward and says, Then it's a challenge you request. What kind of proof do you seek uh, to allow... Sorry. What, what kind of proof do you seek to allow me to grant what I wish in my own kingdom? The challenge is clear in the Emperor's voice, and Locke takes a small step backwards. Because, again... The Emperor would mop the floor with Locke. Only that which is are required, he says softly, a true measure of a man, a battle and a challenge equal to the honor you wish to give. I call for a jacar. Now gasps are heard everywhere, and the Emperor's jaw literally falls open in shock. Looking at Darsh, his friends see that his hands squeeze his chair very tightly to the point that they can hear the wood creaking within his grip. So the Jakar is a minotaur challenge that is normally reserved for someone who has lost honor. It's a challenge where someone tries to regain their honor through combat. And the only way to truly regain your honor in that situation is to fight forces that are highly uh, outmatching you. For if you can survive that, you've won back your honor, but if you die, at least you're granted an honorable death, a death of combat. So whatever taint or crimes that you've been claimed, uh, claimed against you would not then stain your family. So say someone's caught being a thief or an assassin or whatever. They may, they may request the Jakar, saying, okay, but nine times out of ten, knowing they're going to walk in there and they're going to die. But that way, the rest of their family is not tainted. Again, it can also be called by an emperor uh, in a situation where there are multiple things. Okay, we're going to put all so on and so forth. And a Jakar is usually not a single one-on-one -on -one combat. A Jakar is normally where you would have several accused at once. So it's very hard for one person to jump into a Jakar. Um, 
of course, Rokar immediately stands up and starts, you know, saying shit like, who are you to say, you know, to ask for something of that nature? And Darcy just put his hand on him and such. The Emperor and the Senator clearly look unhappy. And it's like, you would put one man in the Dakar? And Locke says, of course not, Your Highness. I never said that. I would allow him to choose anyone he'd like to join him in there. He's brought with him allies that he trusts so much. I'm sure they'd be willing to stand by his side. And at this point, the Emperor, unhappy, it clicks the same time as it does for Darsh. This just isn't a chance to show up Darsh and squish his chance at nobility, but it's also a way to show that humans and these lesser races can't stand up to what a Minotaur would consider a challenge or, or, or something honorable. The Emperor is clearly about to say, and he's about, he, he raises his hand like he's about to decline it, and Darsh just says, I accept. And the whole place goes quiet again. Locke gets a big grin on his face and nods and sits back down. The Emperor turns to everyone and states, So be it then. On the morrow all will gather in the great arena where the full Hammer clan will face the challenge of Jakar. Now, Darsh is given the ability to choose four people to join him in there. But, can't bring magic users. Magic is not allowed in the arena. Magic is a weakness. It's used by those too weak to fight for real. So, no way are we going to let anybody cast in there, so Artemis cannot go. Immediately, Rokar steps up, and he's like, I'm in there. And Darsh is like, no, you should stay out. If something happens to me, you need to carry on the clan. Darsh goes, there's no way you're walking in there without at least one person of your blood next to you. Nothing against your friends here. I have nothing but respect for them. But in this, he goes, I must, I'm, I'm, I'm going in there. <laughs> it's it's going to happen. Sasha, of course, will not, because she has the, the young one to raise. He goes, there is another to take on the name should something happen. So she will stay out in that regard. Because if it wasn't for that, one or either one of them could go in. But Rokar's going in, because he's technically blood. At that point, he has to choose three others. And that gives us Mercy, Dandy, and Ulrich. And they're like, Ulrich, um, you're basically new here. <laughs> you've, you've been hanging out with us for a couple of weeks. We're walking into a very likely chance we could get slaughtered situation. Totally understand if you don't want to be a part of this. Ulrich's like... Lady, if Lady Mercy walks into that arena, I will be by her side. There's no way. No way I'm going to turn that down. Because, to be honest, in this situation, this is a great chance for him to really prove himself to, to Mercy. Because they've been hanging out a while, and other than that one little scuffle in the, uh, in the alleyway where some brigands were, bullies were beating up on an old guy, he hasn't really done any combat yet. And he wants to prove to Mercy that she made the right choice choosing to let him hang on. He's like, no, I'm, 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 I'm fine. Yeah, we'll go. And Dandy's like, of course! And then they're like, do we really want Dandy in there? But that's that's silly. Of course they want Dandy, because to be honest, there's times that Dandy or Darsh would take Dandy by his side before almost anyone else. Uh, let's see here. Got some questions popped up. Darsh and the homies are about to wreck some folks in a coliseum. I'm calling <laughs> Can Darsh not use any magically enhanced weapons? No, weapons are provided. Uh, but at the same time, the weapons are also provided to what, whoever or whatever they fight. So no one's supposed to be going to walk in there with 
magical weapons. It's an even playing field. No magic at all. That's honor thing. So, you know, Darsh makes it clear. You guys can't bring any of that stuff. Everything that's magical, you need to throw in the chest of holding. I'm going to throw my my weapons. I'm going to throw my magic rings in there. All that stuff. We put in the chest of holding. We're going to go ahead and give that to Artemis, who's not in there. So she's got it all. So if something funky does happen, she can do what needs to be done with all that stuff. And, of course, all the artifact magic special stuffs are in there. You are very welcome. I'm glad I could help that. Yeah, no magical daggers. Now, fortunately, she has a regular hoop pack, which is her weapon of choice. And she's got a bag of regular stone and sling bullets, which they'll provide, although ranged weapons still viewed slightly weak. They're not going to cause too much for that. Um, Mercy uses a morning star and a shield. Definitely going to be those. The only issue they run into is some of the weapons are a little bit larger than they would normally wield. Um, but... And again, I hope this doesn't come off negatively. Let me clarify. When it comes to Minotaurs, females are viewed as equals. So a female can fight in the arena as much as anyone else. But females are usually, as in with many humans, smaller than the male counterparts. Doesn't make them less. Sometimes it makes them way faster. Um, There have been many female emperors. In fact, down the road we'll hear some tales of some of them. Um, But because of that, there are some weapons that are of a bit smaller nature for that. Still a little bit larger than these guys are used to. Um, In fact, Ulrich can't use scimitars. Scimitars are just not something used by minotaurs really at all. So he goes with a classic uh, long uh, uh, broadsword and and shield. And Mercy goes with Morningstar and shield. Dandy does take a knife, which for her it's basically a short sword when she picks up a minotaur dagger. It's like, that's not a knife, that's a knife. You know, that kind of thing. Um, But her hoop pack is going to be her primary thing. Um, momentum is half times weight, velocity squared, speed is better than weight. Very much so. And minotaurs are big. And that doesn't mean they're slow. These are expert fighters. So, all right. So, let me jump back in here. So, um, let me just hit the car. So, um, all of that happens. Nothing big happens that evening. Uh, the next day, it's a warm morning as they rise and prepare for the day's challenge. Uh, they prep again. They give all that stuff. Um, Artemis is like, you want me to cast any blessing spells on you? Darsh is like, nope, sorry, can't do that. Breaking the rules. It's supposed to be a 5v5 battle. Uh, there are several phases of it, and it's to the death. No outside assistance. No animals or pets. Because, yes, Minotaur... Um, much like the World of Warcraft hunters, a lot of times will have a trained uh, pet, uh, especially the ones that aren't really on the boats as much. If you're just like a, an infantry or, or regular land warrior, sometimes they will have a large uh, dogs and things of that nature. So no pets, only honorable combat, no ranged weapons except for thrones. You could throw a knife. There are lances, there are javelins. Darsh takes a few javelins because he, javelins is one of his, it's, that's his ranged weapon of choice, but there's no bows. It's no crossbows. They warned Dandy about the sling. So she's like, poo! You know, because like, none of that. But she can throw it if she wants to. That's okay. Um, no potions. No healing. That's the thing. No healing between rounds. It's so on and so forth. So they're transported to the arena via some uh, more chariots. Artemis and Sasha are up in the stands watching and such. Uh, things like that. That's all right. Don't worry about Fuji. If it double spams it, it's okay. Um... They're allowed to give them a bit of time to prep. They take off all their magic stuff, even their magic rings and so on. Uh, Darsh is quite specific about this. He's never had to be in... He's fought in arenas younger, when back in the old world. But he's never been into this kind of situation, though he's seen them fought. 
But then the time comes. They're waiting in a waiting room just off the side. And finally, the gates open and it's time to go in. Um, as they walk out onto the floor of this massive structure, they're almost deafened by the yells and applause of the thousands of Minotaur that have come to watch the day's combat. News had traveled fast through the Empire that previous night, and many have heard of Darsh's, uh, heard of Darsh already, the Minotaur who lived with humans, and many were curious. Many had come to see the humans fight. Never before had any of the lesser races uh, fought in the great arena as a named equal. There have been many times that they've been brought in as slaves and fought for entertainment. Um, it would be quite, <laughs> I have it here, I'll be fought in the greater as, as, uh, as a named equal. It would be quite a sight to see them slaughtered. People like, ooh, we get to see some humans slaughtered today. But most of all, the people had come to see a Jakar. It had been many years since the challenge had been issued, and the circumstances around this one was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So, they all walk out there. Right? So, you know, there's the five of them. Like, hey, guys, how are you doing? And to Dandy and, you know, Mercy, she kind of knew what to expect. You know, she's a little bit more mature in these type of things. Ulrich walks out and he's like, oh, good Lord. That's a lot of minotaurs. It's a huge thing, you know? He, he knows all about honorable combat and that kind of stuff. There's a version of it with the knights that we're going to see eventually down the road. Uh, but... You know, it's one of those things like, this is different than anything I've seen. Dandy's like, look how big they are. It's like an ocean of fur. And Darth's like, shut up. He's like, it must smell horrible up there. And Darth's like, shut up. You know, because definitely she was giving those type of things, you know. Um, so I'm just going to kind of go across. It's supposed to, it's going to be a 5v5, sorry. It's a 5v5 battle. Whew, I'm stumbling all over that. 5v5 battle. Alright. But before they get to those five, they are going to have to fight something else. And in this situation, it's a couple of lions. There's usually lions or bears, sometimes an owl bear if you're a really bad criminal. Um, but it's some type of an animal thing, and it's more of a warm-up. These aren't that dangerous. A good minotaur should have no problem taking out a couple lions barehanded. That's just a Tuesday. And you throw some humans in there and give them some sharp pokey things, they got to at least get a swing on a, on a lion, you should think. So sure enough, the lions come in, um, which, of course, makes um, Artemis a little sad because she's got her cool lions and she wishes she could throw them in there, but she can't. Um, back in a second. All right, Fuji, see you back in a minute. And um, the lions come in. As expected, they make short work of them. Darsh singles solos one lion very quickly. I want to say he actually rolled a natural 20 in that battle and actually did a serious amount of damage and beheaded a lion, which was pretty impressive. The crowd just ate that up. And then Mercy and Ulrich, because uh, Rokar had Darsh's back, although he didn't really get to do much, and then Mercy and Ulrich jump in, and very quickly, because again, they're both from a knight's raising, their type of strategies are very common. Or, uh, uh, not common, a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? close to be the same. That's what I'm looking for. The, the same kind of thing. And so they get in very quickly. They get the, the, the feel, okay, I'm attacking this way. I've got your flank. Then I attack that whole you, then me. I'm defending you. Then I attack and you defend me. They very quickly get a little momentum for that. And very often um, Mercy and Ulrich, uh, their attacks will work in unison or they will have what I like to call combo attacks. Because in D&D, I added something like that. Um, it is possible that if you have a specific character, I guess it's, it's a very video game thing, and I understand that. 
Now, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not slightly cheesy, but if you have someone that you could do some type of special move with, like Darsh is known to throw Dandy. You know, a lot of times Dandy will just run up his back and he'll chuck her over top of whoever they're fighting and people just don't pay any attention to the Kender and suddenly they got Dandy behind him with whatever magic foolishness she's got going on and causes problems. Yes, Jim! Coordinated! That's the word I was thinking for. Thank you. Um, so yes, pulling WD tag team moves. So Mercy and Ulrich very, very easily begin to work together. Um, previously, it was Mercy and Artemis that work a lot together as well, where Mercy's protecting Artemis while she casts a spell, and then Artemis will be doing some type of defensive spell or even her own ranged weapons while Mercy makes her attack. So um, it's not like super moves per se, but they can say, hey, we're going to try to do this type of maneuver, and usually there's a little bit of bonuses or perks to a hit. Not so much damage. doesn't mean you're going to do more damage, but you may have a bit ch better chance to hit if you're literally, I'm going to go in and deke this guy while you come in from the other side while I'm drawing his attention. That type of thing can work. Ashley said it. Well, thank you, Ashley, for being wiser than Draven. <laughs> so the lions fall pretty quickly. Very, very easy. Um, after that, big applause. Yay, they killed lions. I'm surprised the humans are alive. Yay, nobody ate the kender. Boo, but Okay. Um, and then, of course, the doors open up, and five Minotaurs come in. Now, there is a black Minotaur, a red Minotaur. Uh, there are two brown Minotaurs, one's smaller, one's larger, but they look almost like twins, because they're brothers. And then there's a red-black mixture Minotaur. And those five come in. One, two, three, four, five. Yes, those five come in. And um, uh, my stupid laptop can't handle any. <laughs> it's okay. She's enjoying it? Well, I'm glad. Um, now, we'll take just a quick moment to talk about combat. Uh, it's something I, I don't try to get in too much when I'm telling a story, the details of the combat, and I kind of breeze over it um, for a couple of reasons. When you're playing D&D, long battles can get monotonous. Okay, I rolled to attack. I hit. I rolled a five. What do you do? Uh, I rolled a hit. I miss. What do you do? I roll. I hit. I did seven. Okay, cool. Their turn. They rolled a 15. You get hit. Yeah, that can get boring. If you're not doing any type of special super moves, you're not fighting something that's got really cool powers and such. A regular melee fight between two Minotaurs, can, the, the mechanics of it can be a little boring. I do my best to try to make it more entertaining and make weird, interesting things happen, make them describe it. But here telling the story, I can't remember what they did in specifics 10 years ago. So I kind of breeze over that and say, these two fought, this person got a good hit in, but this person won. Uh, so we're going to see stuff kind of like that in these battles, but... Um, combat itself can be very boring or very fun depending on what you're doing in that combat and who's doing it. Uh, when Darsh is throwing Dandy, that's awesome. That is a lot of fun. When she's literally sitting on his shoulder just whipping daggers, that's always interesting too because she's coming from above. She's getting bonuses. Some of the combat stuff that we worked out. I got a whole bunch of my own combat rules and such that I've designed over the year for playing D&D, which are outside a lot of the standard stuff. Still based on standard 2nd edition, but I have a lot of things that I've adjusted, um, especially in how time works in combat, because I'm not a big fan of how anybody's done time at this point. Um, so this battle begins, and 5v5, right? So Darsh, Rokar, Minotaur versus Minotaur. These Minotaur they're fighting are trained. They're not necessarily evil, Although, um, they hear a couple boos from the audience because it appears that all five of these are from Zethanth for some reason. And that's odd because normally that's not supposed to be the case. It's supposed to be five chosen at a random drawing to be the, uh, the this or that. No, I mean, you, your name's in the hat. Not everybody's name's in the hat. There's things that get you there. 
But somehow, it's all five people from Zathanth, especially the brothers. It's odd that two kin would be on the defensive side. Um, so Darshan, Rokar, Minotaur versus Minotaur. That puts Mercy versus the Minotaur, who herself is probably, at this point, just as capable of fighting as Darsh is. Doesn't do quite as much damage as Darsh, uh, because she doesn't have the strength bonus. Um, but her ability to hit is actually a bit better than Darsh's at this point. Um, and without magical weapons, she's pretty much on par to hit as well as he does. He just does a bit more damage. Uh, so that wasn't a big concern. Dandy, when facing a Minotaur is an interesting thing because when you're someone that small against someone that large it is in the D&D rules and I play it this way that the larger person gets a negative they're trying to hit a smaller target who's usually going to be faster than them um, and depending on whatever the smaller thing is the smaller thing may get perks to attack something larger not always but that is a larger target and with Dandy's overwhelmingly high natural dexterity um Nine times out of ten, she can easily dodge whatever the Minotaur is trying to do. But doing so, she forfeits her own ability to get an attack in. Uh, because she's easy to get out of the way, but she's sometimes got to get out of the way by a good distance. Ulric, out of all of them, is probably the one that's going to have the biggest issue. Oh, your thing's working again? Oh, well, welcome back, Luigi. Uh, Ulric, definitely the lowest level out of everybody there. Um, and they don't know how good his combat is. So... Darshi immediately goes after the big one. Of course, that's what you're going to do. Not only is he probably going to be the strongest one here, um, but he doesn't want one of them to attack his friends. Rokar uh, takes on the younger brother of the big one, um, and then the other three are split. Throughout the fight, it moves pretty seamlessly. And oddly enough that I recall, the battles ended relatively close to the same time with the exception of two. Darsh, Mercy, and Rokar were able to defeat the three that they were fighting pretty quickly, but all of them took at least one pretty big hit um, that normally Artemis would throw a heal on. They don't have the option of that. So they all lost at least a third of their hit points, if not almost a half of their hit points, in that battle. Ulrich and Dandy were the biggest issue. And it was actually Dandy that had the best idea in that fight because in the middle of it, she just stopped and left and ran the opposite direction. Of course, many of the Minotaur immediately start booing and the Minotaur she's fighting is like, ah, she went. but she didn't run away. She immediately ran towards Ulrich's and she attacked that one. So suddenly it was Ulrich and Dandy against this Minotaur um, and Dandy's speed keeping him off his feet, Ulrich was able to do a decent amount of damage. It took a moment for the other Minotaur who was, ah, he ran away, and oh Christ, they're beating up my friend. He then came charging in. By that point, Dandy and Ulrich had done a decent amount of damage to the one that Ulrich then went to take on the new challenge. Well, Dandy finished off Ulrich's because Ulrich was very capable of defending. Even with his shield and his sword, he was very good at blocking the fights and such. Um, he just had a hard time getting in and doing enough hits and damage because he wasn't as high. Uh, Jim asked, was Katie one of the players? For some reason, I feel like you guys played a little bit. Oh, yes. Katie was Darsh and Artemis. And Skip was um, Dandy and Mercy. I was everybody else at this point. Yes, Katie, all all of Darsh's storyline and Mercy and all them, that was, that was the, the Katie Skip years. For sure. So yes, she was all Darsh. 
And um, so that happens. So by the time, let's say, the other one come charging in, Ulrich stepped in to take that one. Dandy finished off the other one, and now it's Dandy and Ulrich against this other one. But at that point, Darsh steps in, and basically Ulrich and Dandy step back, and Darsh just walks in and mops the floor with the last guy. Um, by that point, Rokar and Mercy were done as well, but, you know, Darsh steps in, he goes, I got it, you know, kind of an honorable combat thing. Everybody steps back, and Darsh just takes the guy on one-on-one. And sure enough, it's to the death. And these guys knew that walking into this. It's not what they wanted, but they're like, listen, if you don't kill them, they're just going to send somebody else in to kill us. There's no option. There's a thousand Minotaurs up there. There's no way we're walking out of here unless we do this. This is how the Minotaur thing works. If you're walking in there with me, you understand this is where we have to take it. So they all knew that walking in. Darsh made that quite clear to everybody. So with the fall of the last one, the audience goes crazy. Uh, is it? Oh, let me go back. Is it to the death? Uh, seems weird that they have their own people fight to the death. At least five in the party. NPCs or Chronomancers are going to get killed. Yes, because again, remember the the Jakar is normally used as a way for someone to regain their honor. This isn't how it's normally used, and it's usually lopsided where the person going in to fight is planning. They're not planning, but they assume they're going to die in honorable combat. So I'm accused of something. I walk in there with four other guys I don't know that have been accused, and we're fighting these five really trained, powerful warriors. Because, again, you've got to have some skill to be chosen as those guys. They walk in and they slaughter us all. I'm dead, but so did the crimes I commit die with me. So now my brothers and my children and my parents, that crime is gone with my death. It's not spoken of. It never happened. None of them are tainted or dishonored by that. It is listed as I died an honorable death. So if that what happens, I still win. Because that's how a mentor wants to go anyways. No one wants to be beheaded for a crime. Because that can happen. You know, if you don't do a Jakar, I mean, sometimes, some crimes you don't get the Jakar chance. Sometimes, like, what you did was bad enough, there is no chance. You're just going to die. Uh, but if it was one of these type of things, you could. <clears throat> um, but if you do successfully win, then you've earned your honor. Again, the crime stays in the arena. You walk out, you are now innocent. Regardless of whether you did it or not, you are innocent when you walk out of there alive. Uh, how do you spell the Minotaur Kingdom? I took a guess. Cronear. Alright, let me grab it here. So, Cronear, let me give you the exact spelling the way I've got it here. Is K-R-O apostrophe because I am a fiend for apostrophes. Let me grab my map here so i got the right one. I haven't actually looked at the name in a while. One second. I want to make sure I'm giving you the right spellings. I haven't had to spell it today. Ah, K R O. Sorry, it's K R O N A apostrophe A R. I knew there was an apostrophe in there. So Krona. K R O N A apostrophe A R. That's Krona A R. Zephanth is one word. Uh, as is the uh, other island that I'm forgetting right now. Um, So those five hit the ground. They're done. The audience is cheering. They've won. Yay, the humans and stuff. They're like, hey, that kender was kind of cool. But they're victorious. So everybody's applauding, standing their feet, beating feet. Because at this point, they've won. It's done. The emperor rises, about to raise his hands to speak. When a loud noise comes bursting out of the body of the smaller of the two brother minotaurs. Like, literally, there's a pop, and then, like, this 
It's not a scream, but just a weird roaring noise. And the body begins to jerk. And they're like, ooh, that's some weird death spasms right there. And everybody kind of stops and is looking at it. And then suddenly it jerks the head up and it begins to change shape. And it grows and they hear popping of bones and snapping as the body begins to distort. And this happens very quickly. And it's so shocking that nobody really moves. But the thing grows to the point that it's now almost four to five feet taller than anyone in the party. And its body is extended into two more feet that are actually end in hooves. What this has become is a manotaur. So a manotaur, imagine a mixture between a minotaur and a centaur. So the bottom half would be almost bull-like, but then extending out of that is the minotaur body. So it's got the two arms, but then it's got the four legs. And it's horned, but manotaurs themselves, while they'll wield crude weapons, uh, they're not overly intelligent races. You know what I mean? They're not even orc intelligent. They're more beast-like, but they will use like a club and things like that, but they're just so strong that normally they don't have to, and they have their horns. Uh, yes, centaur-minotaur hybrid. And the manator immediately turns and charges our friends. So they... What the hell? This is not expected. This is not manator. You just don't turn into... That's magic. Something is afoot. But without time to think, our friends immediately jump into attack. And it was a very quick battle. Um, but as expected, the only serious damage was taken by Ulrich, who at one point stupidly decided to take a hit for Mercy, jumped in between, and he took a big horn, and it literally goes through his abdomen and sticking out the side. So it's like kind of shaking its head, and he's like stuck on it for a little bit until he goes flinging off. He's got blood all pouring out his side. Um, about what level would this creature be? Uh, creatures work a little bit different. So creatures don't normally have levels as much as they have what's called hit dice. Um, the hit dice can equate to that. So something that's a 10 hit dice monster means that historically you have 10 D8 is what its hit points are. The more hit dice, the more powerful a creature usually is. There's exceptions. Oh, you have a really high level wizard. You know, he may not have a lot of hit points, but he may have a lot of hit dice. So he may have rolled a one on all of them, but he's been around for a while. Um, so there is that. Um, but this thing is uh, definitely something that would be a challenge to these guys at this point. It doesn't have any magical ability, but it has brute strength. And it does have that charging attack kind of thing, where it'll charge in like a bull. Uh, so it's 50% combat. And it grabs some of the weapons that are on the ground, although it's clearly not trained in a sword dueling kind of thing like the Minotaur originally was in its original form. Um, but it definitely at least knows to swing and hurt things. Uh, is this the final round? Would Ulrich be able to get heals after this round, or does he have to keep going? That's a good question. I guess we'll have to find out. So Darsh, at this point, really starts using his javelins. And Dandy starts grabbing her sling stones out, and now she's not worrying about using that, because this is not supposed to happen. This creature has magically been created here. This is not part of what's supposed to happen. To the point that, again, Massive Arena, other minotaurs start hopping in and coming in from the doors to help. This isn't supposed to be happening. But it's a big arena. There's a lot of space there. They're not going to get there very, very quickly. And so... As this is going on, Darsh starts whipping his javelins because the thing will charge and attack. And then uh, Rokar is basically standing over um, Ulrich at this point. So he's 
defending Ulrich and trying to keep him out of harm's way while Darsh and Dandy and Mercy are trying to keep its attention because they're the ones doing more of the damage to it. So the two NPCs got out. It became a battle of this thing against the three characters that were actually here. Um, and that went on. By the time the other Minotaurs got there, they managed to defeat the thing, although Darsh at one point uh, had dropped his weapons. Mercy had stabbed it and the thing was attacking and Darsh grabbed it by its horn um, and broke its neck is how the, the fight ended. Because he, he said that's what he wanted to do. He said, I want to try to grab it by the horns. I'm like, okay. Rolled successfully. It took damage, but he managed to grab it by the horns. He's like, now I want to snap its neck. And so it he had to roll strength checks and stuff, rolls and such, but he did manage to break its neck. Um, and again, young lady playing the character, I think knew what she was going for at that moment. She, she was making a point. Okay, you guys have thrown this at us. Obviously, evil people, no idea who that could be, had thrown this magical thing at them, uh, and Darsh literally snapped its neck with his bare hands. That was the point he's trying to get across. Like, anybody else got a problem? You know, that kind of a thing. Um, and so they were successful in destroying it. Uh, so the beast falls for the last time. Silence then stops, because everybody's just kind of quiet there. Even the mentors that were running in kind of come to a stop, and everybody's just standing there looking at them all. Except for uh, Artemis and Sasha, who are already trying to get down there. Because um, Artemis is ready to throw some heels. Um, and, uh, let's see, as, they, as they're standing there, and they're looking, Darsh just raises his hand up in the air. And I, I, I didn't write that. She decided to do that. And then the arena erupts with cheers and applause. People just screaming ecstatically. The Emperor and all the Senators, doors open, and they start making their way out into the arena. Uh, even Locke is applauding, though with, uh, without any type of enthusiasm and anger in his eyes. Um, Artemis comes rushing in and immediately is checking on him, runs to Ulrich and starts throwing some heels on him, checking the party for what they've done. Everybody else is hurt, but nothing life-threatening except for Ulrich. The Emperor raises his hand, and after a few moments, his, the applause dies down. It even took a minute for him to dodge him. His voice booming through the arena, never before has the great arena seen such combat. Even in the face of treachery and completely dishonorable combat, the Fohammer clan has more than proven itself today. We have also seen what we are capable of as a people when we work together with the other races of this new world. Darsh Fohammer is the perfect example of this, and through his example and leadership, or example through his leadership, it is my honor to undeniably glaring at Locke grant the reward he and his clan deserve by officially proclaiming him Lord Darsh and by bestowing the company rank upon his clan. Again, the arena takes off and screaming and booshing and everybody is very happy. How powerful Artemis' spells getting? And can she heal Uruk who's probably missing an organ or two from a full pierce? Yes. By this point, Artemis, uh, the only healing spell she doesn't normally have is the spell that's just called Heal. And Heal just heals you to full no matter how bad you are. But she has a lot of pretty powerful heals. And again, this is a Draven thing. This is how I run my game. Certain clerics get certain perks. So the way I run clerics of healing, um, they get to roll double the dice when they're rolling a healing spell if they're casting it. Now, if they're using a scroll or a magic item or a staff, they're casting it themselves. They get to roll. Uh, so if it's they get to roll an additional d8. So if it's one d8, they roll two d8. If it's three d8, they roll four. They get an extra d8, and all ones count as twos. That's one of the perks. 
that's granted by that god. Their healing is better than the average person. Because other clerics can, of course, have healing spells. But only the clerics of healing get that perk. I have the book here. Um, one second. Um, of all the gods and such. And inside of all the gods and their specifications, there it tells exactly which perks they have. So they get one additional dice use for all healing spells. Um, once per day, they can do a lay on hands ability, um, which is two hit points per level of them. Um, and then all ones count as two. So that's the three granted powers of Tavian to any of his faithful. Um, I have granted powers for every cleric, regardless, uh, so good or evil. So if anybody wants to play those, I know what abilities they get. So yes, at this point, uh, as long as you're not dead, she can pretty much heal you back to, to full. Um, she, it may take a few of her spells. Um, so you know, if you're in battle and she's been healing left and right, if she has enough left, she can. In this situation, she didn't get to do anything. So she's got all of her healing spells for the day. So she's able to heal Ulrich, Ulrich up pretty well. But it's not like, yay, I'm healed. Let's go have a party. He's still tired. It doesn't get rid of the exhaustion associated with that. You're, you know, even if I'm healing you in battle and you're fighting, and now I'm good, I'm not I can keep fighting. When that battle's over, you're like, I'm exhausted, <laughs> fall out. You know, that can happen. Um, it's not taking away the exhaustion, it's just healing the damage to your body. Now, a heal spell itself, which is a very higher level spell, when you get heal, that pops you back up like you just woke up the next morning after a good night's sleep. You're fine with that spell. Um, there are special situations where that can happen. Okay, good question though. Thank you for that question, I appreciate that. Uh, Artemis is uh, pretty decently powered at this point. So, um, let's see here. Uh, please accept this. Uh, there, sort of key. There's, over the next few days, there are multiple feasts. Darsh is granted specific papers, writ of nobility, all these type of documents that show who he is, what his rank is, uh, free pass to speak on it. So he also has documents now that when he shows up, in, um, uh, let's just say he shows up in Arduel. He's like, hi, uh, I'm told that you're having a problem here with a ship from a Minotaur vessel. Sweet. I'm able to step in here and, and, and speak on behalf of that nation. Hi, I'm, I'm here. I'm representing Kronayar. What's the problem? So he almost has like a bit of an ambassador's status. A little bit. He cannot give away things. I can't say, as a, I can't say, yes, Zethant says you can have our boat. You know, on behalf of Kronear, you can enslave my people. It's none of that kind of stuff. But if it's a minor thing, you're arguing over taxes, we will take, we'll pay the extra taxes this time, and then Darsh may have to pay that back when he talks to the Emperor, if the Emperor feels that he made the wrong choice, but he can do those type of things. Jim says, your explanation is awesome. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Um, Darsh, of course, gets to meet his nephew, uh, Lorne. That's a highlight for him, because the first time he meets his nephew, technically his nephew is a noble. And that's a big deal. That, that means a lot to Darsh. Because Darsh is like, not I'm noble. Yay, that's awesome, cool, I have rank. I have just got something that I can pass to my children, that I've just given to my cousin and his wife and his children. I have brought back to us what we had in the old world. Not quite the, the level of, of noble, but I'm following in my father, my ancestors' footsteps. My ancestors had to fight from nothing up their rank, and I was kicked to start all over again, and I'm rebuilding that like my great-great-grandfather, however many grandfathers back it was, a grandmother, who knows. Whoever it was that originally got that noble rank and chewed and fought their way up, I'm now doing that to show that my clan, we can still do that if we need to. So it's, it's a big thing. And um, 
there's all that kind of stuff. Darsh even is given a, a small part of land on um, uh, Kronear that comes with rank. You are rank noble. This is a land that is now yours. Uh, Darsha says, I'm not going to be living there. There's a house there. He basically is given a house. A pretty decent house. And so immediately he's like, Rokar and my, you know, and his wife and my cousin, nephew, whatever, his kid, they're going to move in there and they're going to keep this land on my, on my behalf. So Rokar is, is the one I'm putting in there. He speaks on behalf of me in the same way. So if Rokar starts saying, hey, on behalf of Fohammers, I'm going to sign this contract. <laughs> Darsh may have a problem with that, but Darsh ought to take it out with him because Fohammer's now signed that contract. Rokar's not a fool, though. So, but that's a thing. Um, so the other thing that they ask while they're here is, does anyone here know what the source is? If you'll remember, they were told that they need to find um, the source because that's where these weapons have to go. That's what their whole quest has been. They've been looking for that forever. And no one has found it yet. Sorry I keep drinking, I'm thirsty. Um, so when it does finally come time to leave after about a week of this fanfare, there's people on the dock seeing him off. They're basically celebrities, and a lot of people are offering to buy and drinks. Even the humans, Ulrich, again, because they fought in the battle, Ulrich took a huge stab gut wound. I mean, that, hey, you, you survived. You got a scar? Let me see your scar. And he's like, ah, there's a human scar. You know, it's that kind of thing. You know, it heals it, but it may leave a scar. I like to do that. I don't say it, it heals the thing perfectly, with the exception of a heal spell. A heal spell, grow your damn arm back. But, um, you know, I, I, I want those. That's a, that's a badge of honor, especially on a Minotaur, you know. But in this situation, it's like, oh, yeah, I got this scar one time and I was fighting undead. They're like, ooh, tell us that story. You fought something. That's what we want to hear. And Mercy, of course, she impressed them just with her own physical combat. Out of all of them, she fought better than Rokar did, to be honest with you. She's much higher level than Rokar. And so she wowed them out and she's talking about that. And not only that, she can drink one for one with them. So there are nights that Artemis is just shaking her head as... Arm in arm, Mercy drunkenly comes out of an inn with some staggering minotaurs, just singing songs in, that she's picked up that she doesn't even know what the words are because it's in minotaur. <laughs> so, like, she's just she's having a blast. Her and Darsh are having a blast because Mercy likes her drink as well. Not as much as Darsh likes pie, but she likes her drink. So there we go. This is what has happened. At the end, and they prepare to go home. They, uh, <laughs> they, um, they go up the next day, they get on there, and as they're getting ready to shove off, everybody's cheering, and Darsh like, is the ship ready to go? And yeah, they've been fully restocked, and they bought stuff here, and uh, Darsh even took some of his own money to buy some things that he's going to try to resell. He's going to start trying to get a merchant's building going. So he's going to show up with half a ship of Minotaur goods, that he paid a good price for uh, because of his current status. He may have got a bit better deal than normal, uh, but he's going to take advantage of that, and he's going to try and go and open up a trade room. You know, maybe he'll get a booth in the um, marketplace at some point and hire someone to sell the goods that he brings in. Maybe eventually he'll have a store there that has his own goods that he's brought in from the different kingdoms. That's kind of what his goal is to be. He wants to be a merchant lord. Um, so that's an option. As they're getting ready to leave, Dorm goes, uh, Captain, if I may have a word with you real quick. He's like, yeah, of course. So they step to the side a little bit quiet, and he goes, the half-elf's gone. Darsh goes, what do you mean? He goes, hasn't, hasn't been seen since yesterday. No one saw him leave the ship. All of his stuff is gone. There's no, uh, 
Nobody has any idea where he went, but he's not anywhere on the ship. We've searched it from top to bottom. Darcy's like, damn! I should have should have questioned him when I had the chance. Alright. Alright, well, let's let's no because they didn't tell anybody. Hey, where'd Kevin go? We're in trouble. Hey, where's our, our guy? They decide to head out. Because they're not gonna say, hey, did you find our half-elven guy who's in league with Drow? I think he's on your island. Not the kind of conversation you want to have with the people who think you're a hero. So they ship off and they head back home. Uh, so the voyage to Kronayar to Paxiwal is uneventful. Still takes a while. It's a good distance. Um, but it's not long before they're able to see the harbor of Paxiwal come into view. Uh, they pull into an open sp- spot, tie off the ship. Uh, Darth sends Dorum to deal with the harbor master. Say, okay, here we got this. I want you to go and tie stuff off. He also uh, talks to Gasket, who he's, he put in charge of. At this point, Gasket, I know you're a navigator, uh, but since we don't technically have anywhere to go right now, what I'd like you to do is I want you to go into the city and see what you can do about these goods. See if you can find us a price, find us a buyer. Um, Gasket's got some uh, experience in that matter, and uh, Gasket's going to help. Down the road, Darsh does get some people to specifically help with that side of the business. That's down the road. But right now, he's kind of doing it himself with what resources he has. Um, so, of course, as soon as they land, they go back to their house. They talk to Molly. Nothing big has happened. It's pretty good. Although, a weird thing happened a few days ago. Darsh is like, what? And there's pie hanging off his mouth. Like, what? What happened? <laughs> favorite, it's my favorite funny running gag with Darsh. Is every time they talk to Molly, he's just face down in the pie. And like, and then this happens. He's like, huh? And just, there's always some type of pie hanging off his chin. Um, but uh, she's like, yeah, a couple of nights ago, I could have sworn I saw some people sneaking around, some bodies sneaking around your house. I had just stepped outside to use the privy, and I thought I saw someone. Of course, I grabbed the torch and went over there, because you're my friends, and I keep an eye on your house. We're not going to let anybody do anything here. And uh, But you know, I got over there, and I didn't see anybody. I went in the house. There's no signs of anybody in there. Nothing was disturbed, but I saw some people sneaking around the house. I told the guards, the city guards, and they kept an eye on it as well, but I don't think anyone was in there, but I thought I should tell you about it. And they're like, yes, thank you for telling us about it. And they go back into the house and they go search their secret room and check all Dandy's traps and nothing's been triggered. Everything looks pretty safe. There's nothing moved in any way. But she did see some skulking figures, although she could not see size, race, or anything like that. Um, They're not back, because they always see Molly first and they go see the house, because they want to know what's going on, right? Molly's their, their information. So they get into the house. They're not in the house, but 30 minutes, barely unpacked, and there's a knock at the door. Um, and it is a message from the temple uh, saying that uh, it has asked that they contact the temple as soon as possible. Ashley, sorry, sorry about the language. Psh, language is fine. <laughs> um, but uh, he says, yes, definitely. We'll head to the temple here in just a few minutes then. Thank you very much. And uh, they start packing stuff up and they get back to the... Uh, back to... Sorry. Mosquito. Ha <laughs> ha, gotcha, you prick. Um, so... Um, yes. It's okay. So they get to the temple. Let's see. Uh, arriving at the temple, uh, they immediately are greeted by two Templar guards who have been waiting for them and es- escort them uh, to Brother Bart's personal chambers. They've never been there before. They're always taken to one of the offices of their conference rooms, but they're taken directly to his chambers. When they arrive, both Brother Bart and Sister Mare are there. And they say, there's a problem. 
several weeks ago, because remember, these guys have been gone a couple months at this point. Several weeks ago, a very powerful scrying magic attempted to locate Pandora's box. So, if you'll remember, Pandora's box is something they found very early on in the story. It was way more powerful than they knew it was and has been safe kept by Brother Bart and the other clerics since. And it is powerful. They said it took all of our magic to block it from finding it. But that concerns us. Someone is actively seeking the box and the magic they're using is not to be trifled with. Um, uh, they're unsure of the source of it. Um, they advise, because the characters ask, hey, were there any drow sightings? No. Um, there were potentially uh, some more human people that have been asking questions about the box, so they could be followers of Pandora. They're not sure. Um, they have no new information on the source or where it is. They've not been able to find anything. Um, and there's that. Now, as they leave, because they wanted to know about this. You found this box, you need to know you're part of this. As they go to leave, Sister Mara takes Artemis aside and says um, that while she was off dealing with stuff, she had heard about the teachings and such that she had been doing in RDL, giving the speeches, talking about her adventures and such. And Artemis goes, yes, it was a wonderful opportunity. Um, they asked me to do it. I was flattered, and I felt it really did good. I got to talk to a lot of people that I think may have inspired them to take a bit more of an active role in the world around us. And uh, Sister Mara's like, well, I want you to know I greatly approve of that. That is very awesome. Well played. Because again, Sister Mara is the head of the clerics of healings. Brother Bart is the cleric of light, which is the primary good goddess. Um, let's see here. Where are we at? Got it. Okay, so over the next seven days, this is what happens. And I say when I say over the next seven days because for the next seven days, I'm going to tell you what happens in one person's life, then the next person. So when I say seven days, these all seven days happen at the same time, but it's how each person is affected. Okay? We'll start with Darsh, because that's where we've been most of the night. This has been a very Darsh-heavy story at this point. I promise it's not going to end that way. Hopefully that sounded ominous. I tried to make it sound a little ominous. And yes, and I appreciate Tennessee. I'm in Tennessee now. The mosquitoes are not fun. Um... Darsh already, already at this point, with the treasure that they pulled in from that pirate captain and the massive amount of treasure, Darsh, while he is a minor noble of Kronayar, probably has the fortune of a rank three, if not higher. He is very wealthy. They, No one knows how wealthy these characters are, other than maybe the temple who keeps their money. But even the temple doesn't have all their money. They keep a ton of it hidden inside that chest of holding. No one knows how wealthy these guys are. Many of these guys could buy a keep or buy a small town. Like, they're that wealthy at this point. And so, little stuff. I need to restock the weapons. I need to restock my boat. Here, Dorm. Here's a bag of gold. Go buy what we need for the ship. Dorm's like, I don't know where he has all this money, but by God, if we need it, he can pay for it. Darsh immediately starts looking for a bigger boat. He's going to be sailing back and forth between here and those islands, he needs something that's going to be able to get there faster. And if he's wanting to use it as a potential base to start a business, which he's not sure yet, because when he started that idea, he didn't know he was going to be a noble on Cronair. So now he's like, hmm, maybe I can build, I got a house there. Buy a warehouse. Maybe, that, maybe I'll buy a warehouse here. Because that's how this is going to work. 
if he's wanting to be a businessman, he may have warehouses in multiple cities and have his boats taking stuff back and forth between different cities. What's he going to sell? What's the, what's the product? Different things, maybe. We're not quite there yet, but he knows what he's looking for. So immediately he's like, I'm going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> Jaws reference. So he starts looking into that. He's like, okay, I don't have the money to have, I don't have the time to have one built. So he starts looking into potentially buying a bigger boat. He also starts working on some plans for the island. Um, talks with a few different people. Uh, hey, if I was wanting to build a thing there, where could I get enough lumber? Where could I get enough this? I'm going to need a thing of metal. I'm going to need coal. I have things I'm going to need to take to this island. Hey, how much could I get for this much? How much would it be to, to buy a large amount of food supplies? What if I want to bring some horses? How much is it going to be for horses? He starts looking into this as well as the business side of, okay, if I buy a bigger boat, then the smaller boat could be just used as a merchant vessel or whatever. I'm not thinking about that yet, but that's something. The bigger boat could be the main one. So he starts doing a lot of plans over those seven days. Um, now, at that point, um, because they're not sure what they're going to do, Dorham and all of the named crew, he offers them a retainer. So basically, he's like, listen, I don't know when I'm going to take off yet. It could be a few weeks could be a month. I don't know. I'm going to pay you to sit here and wait. I'm going to pay you this much flat fee per week to just live here so that when I say I want to leave tomorrow, you get on the boat. Of course, the smage that they have is like, nah, no, we don't really do that. Smage stuff you'll have to look into. But with the price that he offers, all of his named crew are like, I have no problem with that. Yes. And they can get small apartments or hotels. They can still live on the boat if they want, and many of them may choose to do so. Um, the primary ranks of that nature, maybe in a few of the unnamed people who have been exceptionally good, um, but he's not going to pay for all them either. When it comes, it comes to Dorham, and he's like, listen, we need to leave in 24 hours, fill the ship. Dorham's like, no, I'll be back with 20 people. He'll go take off and get them. Um, but they're going to sit on retainer, because that's something that came up. They're like, hey, what if we go adventuring on land for six months? Well, Darsh, this is something you've got to pay for if you want to keep them. That, or your boat just sits there and you've got to hire a whole new crew. Darsh did not like that. By this point, he'd grown attached to several of the characters. I've not really talked about some of the interactions he's had with people like Gasket and Dorham itself. Uh, but Dorham, he leans on a lot. And Dorham is hands down one of his followers, as are the named crew are basically Darsh's henchmen at this point. But he's paying them, because that's a job. Um... So yes, that was all of that. Now, for the same seven-day period, let's talk about Dandy. Dandy returns to the gold, or returns to the, returns to the guild, um, which isn't a problem. She's able to track down One Eye, chat with him, um, and he says that there's been less issues with unknown assassins and rogues. What few were found in town were either killed or run out. So at this point, the town has quieted back down. She also shows up with literally a huge chest of coins and jewels and said, here you go. And he's like, what? He goes, she goes, dues. There's my dues. It's a percentage of what I've got. She goes, I am a woman of honor. I have fought in the Minotaur Wars and I am a literally known to be honorable Kender. So I'm giving you my fair due. This is my share of the whatever that I'm giving you, which isn't a lot because Dandy doesn't really have a need for a lot of money. She's got as much money as the rest of them, but she doesn't really want to buy stuff. She's just as excited finding a shiny bottle in the store as she is a magical weapon. So she shows up and says, hi, here's your share. And he's like, 
Yeah, yeah, bringing you on was a good idea. I'm really, really approving of my previous idea of letting you join up as the guild. Just a ton of money. Um, now, what he does say is that there have been a lot of inquiries about Dandy and her friends. Um, from just unknown, maybe just because they're growing in fame. They've already heard, he goes, I already know about you fought a, a pirate lich in, you, on these weird islands. I already know that you fought a sea dragon. Um, and then I, I, I found out you went to Kronar. I don't know much what you did there, but you did go there. Because, you know, he keeps knowledgeable. He's got a web of people he talks to. And he's like, but people have been asking, you know, some of it, people just pure curiosity. Who are these people who are gaining such names and ranks and fame in this southern kingdoms? And then some of the questions seem to be a little bit more targeted. People who are trying to act generally curious, but really looking for more information. It's never none of them come to him specifically, but he has people watching for that. Because Dandy has been a source of interest to him for a very long time. Bringing in a chest full of money and just giving it to him without anything brings her a lot more interest. Now he's even more interested in keeping her alive, because she might do that again. Um, that's a lot of money. Um, and so at the same time, he's like, he's like, okay, plus I'm interested in the world and the things that you're getting involved in, because most of my people don't do this stuff. So she's a great source of information that she gets out there. I'm still lagging a lot. Is anyone else having problem with lag for me? I would like to know, because if I am, I can try to... I don't really have anything popping up saying that I'm having any upload errors. On my side, everything says okay. M says he's okay? Okay. So I apologize, Fuchi, maybe on your end, because on my end, I'm not showing I'm having any drop frames at all today. This is the least strenuous stream that I have. Okay, it's good there. Can't watch the stream. My thing's lagging way too much. That's all right, Fuchi, I understand. Well, it'll be up there immediately as soon as this is over. Um, so you'll definitely be able to check it out there. But that's okay. I appreciate that you wanted to. Thank you. <laughs> um, so that's everything that she basically learns here in that seven days. So not a lot. And during this time, people are, you know, they've got all their magic wing, rings and stuff back on. They got that before they left Kronar. They got all their weapons back. Um, and everybody has, you know, their stuff. And they may go and buy some things. And they may go to a, a store and find a potion of healing. I always let them find a couple really low level. Oh, I found a potion of infravision. I don't know why I'll need this, but I'm going to buy it. Because now, for the first time, both Mercy and Darsh have, a, have a, a, something that they've never had to deal with before. Now they have henchmen. So now, when I'm finding magic items, I may be looking, okay, I may not need that ring of water breathing, but that might be handy to give Ulrich, or that might be great for me to give Dorum in case he falls off the boat. I have a couple potions of infravision. I can see fine. Ulrich can't see for crap might be good for him to have a potion of improvision if he needs it. So now they're like, okay, now some of these miscellaneous low-level magic items, they found, oh, we found another ring of free action. Throw it in the pile. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Found an amulet of defense plus one. We've already got better stuff. I'll throw it over here. Now they're like, hey, let me dig that back out again. Ulrich, you just got stabbed by a horn. Put this necklace on. It's going to make it harder for that to happen in the future. I'd like to keep you alive. You're now someone I want to protect. And so now when they're choosing which magic items at the end of an adventure or whatever they're doing, they're sometimes not choosing them for themselves, but as much things for stuff. Now, again, if somebody found a magic broom of sweeping, who cares? How are you going to nor normally knew that? Well, you know, Darsh has a boat now. This is going to clean my room. 
Find a magical chair of something. Not something you carry around an adventure, but it might go find them in my house on Kronayar. So this gives them other things to look for now. I'm not just looking for the regular, I'm going to carry it around magic item. I'm now looking for things like, hey, if I'm going to build this house on Kronayar, maybe I want to buy some fancy clothes to take over there. If I'm going to be a nobility. Things of that nature. So their money and their focus on things now is going to be a little bit different because they've got different important parts of their life um, that are coming more to the forefront. More actual character developing things um, as well as, you know, as simple as, hey, we bought a house, now I actually want to decorate it. I want to go buy curtains. I want them to be this color. I want to be that. Uh, chair with central healing and cooling for the person sitting. <laughs> yes! That would be nice. <laughs> Hell, I'd buy one of those. Alright. Now we go to Mercy. So Mercy um, immediately is like, well, you know, I'll... Uh, we don't really have a spare room. I'll, you can keep it. I'll crash on the couch. Uruk's like, screw that. I am happy to sleep on the couch. Because they don't have a spare bedroom. they got a room just enough for them. So Ulrich kind of takes up room on a couch. Because they have a pretty comfortable couch. Um, so he's there. And he's kind of hanging out there. Um, Mercy and Ulrich during this time spent some time together. And I don't mean, again, not romantically, but actually getting to know each other. Um, and I, I took some time to let... Uh, the young lady who was playing Mercy, literally just role play. And she's like, what are your goals? What are you looking for in life? You're following me. Why? What is it, you know, if you could have, do you wish to be a, uh, have your own followers one day? You want to be a king? You want to be a knight? What are you looking for? At the same time, it gives Ulrich a chance to ask the same questions of Mercy, which I did as Ulrich, because much like Darsh got to say, hey, I want islands and such. I'm like, what is it you're looking to do? What do you want to do? And by this point, I'd already talked to the actual player herself, and I knew what, what she was looking for, but it was a chance for me to bring it into the story. Um, and so they, they talk about that, and they spend time together. Anytime Mercy goes out shopping or whatever she's looking for and buying supplies, he's always with her, because it's a chance for them to travel together, and, and literally she becomes his sidekick. And not in an annoying way. He's more quiet than anybody, than anybody in the group. He, a lot of times, he'll, he'll just stand there quiet for... 30 minutes, and then she'll turn to leave, and she'll be like, oh, Christ, I forgot you were here. Because she's just not used to that. He hasn't said anything in 30 minutes. <laughs> and, but they get along very, very well. Um, and they're very friendly. Again, nothing romantic. It's just someone she can count on. And he, he's not trying anything else. He's just looking to be someone you can count on. Um, the one thing that they did run into, and this was a chance for me to, again, kind of show the type of person Mercy was to Ulrich, um, is near their house one day, um, as they're returning home, they find just like a, a beggar on the street. And he was clearly looking like he was very sick and ill. He uh, was just wheezing and sneezing and such. At the time, Artemis wasn't there. So Mercy's like, hey, I've got a potion of healing. He's sick. I'm not sure that works on colds, but huh, we can try. And so they went up and he's like, ah, oh, don't hit me, don't hit me. And they're like, no, 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 we're here to help. And, and they end up bringing him in the house and they make him a hot meal. At the time, no one was home. Um, so Ulrich went across the street and, and got some food from Molly because she always had non-pie food going too because she always had a pot of stew or something and they come back with, with some of that um, and, uh, and, and give him a hot meal and drinks and he's filthy you can barely see the guy through the dirt and stuff that's caked on him and his hands are really his fingers are really kind of thin and nothing weird magical he's not like a drow in disguise it's nothing like that he's just an opportunity for them to kind of meet and 
Mercy just brings him in the house, says, says, here's some clothes. Do you want a bath? He's like, no. And he's like, you need a place to stay. And he's like, I actually have a small place to stay. I was trying to get back there and this cold hit my lungs. I appreciate you giving me the drink from that potion of healing. I already feel better. And he asks, who are you? I, I, he goes, I'm new to town. I came in on a ship. I'm from Arduel. And I'm just trying to make my way to Thoramon. I'm told some of my family may be there. Merge world stuff. And I'm just trying to get back to my family. And they're like, really? Oh my God. That's, and then he tells a story. And he goes, yes. And it's, it's a you know, pleasant story. I'm just trying to get back. I don't have a lot of money. I got robbed and such. And in no way does he seem like a con man. He's just a guy down on his luck. And Mercy's like, well, here, hold on a minute. She comes back and she's like, this should be enough money to get you there. It should get you a place to stay in an inn tonight, somewhere warm. It'll get you food for a few days and enough to ship to get you to Thorman. When you get there, here's a letter I wrote because I'm technically a knight or noble over there. Take this to the harbor master. He'll send you to the kingdom. They'll see and they'll help you try to track someone down. And the guy's like, that is phenomenal. I, you just met me. You're going to do all that? She's like, yeah, but why not? Why wouldn't I? You're someone you need. It's within my power to do so. I want to help you. And Ulrich's like, excellent. Yes, this is the, these are the features in a leader I'm looking for, that kind of a thing. Um, and so that happened. And he's like, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And he's got a weird accent, but because, again, I'm trying to make him from a different world. And he's like, oh, thank you. And, he, and he's gone. They let him go. And, and Ulrich's like, that was a really nice thing. You didn't know that guy for a squat. And he's like, she's like, that's exactly why we helped him. We don't help. We didn't help him for personal gain. It's because it was within my power to do so. It didn't put me in danger. It didn't put my friends in danger. It wasn't anything that was violating a law, uh, either on the mortal or immoral plane. It was within my power to do it, and that's what we do. It looks like, yeah, that's what we do. All right, cool. And, he's, and he he really really builds off that because his. I wanted them to have that kind of role play situation for them to get to know each other a little bit. <sighs> Give me a second. <clears throat> I'm preparing myself. All right, let's talk about Artemis. Seven days. The day after they went in there and found out from Brother Bart, Artemis was back at the temple again, and Sister Mara came to her and was like, hey, would you mind doing the same thing here that you did in Arduel? Talk to some people, talk about your adventures. I think that inspiring more of our flock to go out and be a positive effect on the world that this new world is and figure out what's going on and try to fix things and all the bad stuff going on out there is a wonderful thing and your experiences are invaluable more so than almost anybody we have here would you mind doing the same thing here and Artemis is like no I'm honored that you'd ask I'd be happy to because Artemis really enjoyed that um, so she also tithes a bunch of her money because that's one thing that clerics do uh, they, they, uh, they tithe their funds to uh, the church. I think it's 10%, depending on, on what type of clerical said. She ties 10% to the church. So again, being very wealthy, the church is like, that's only 10% of the money you have? Holy hell. You know, that kind of thing. Do a shot of Jaeger for fun. Not going to do a shot of Jaeger for fun because that's not fun. But I will do a shot of Fireball real quick. Give me a second. Ugh. Haven't had one of these since the stream the other day, but I'll pop one of those because it's nearby. The Jaeger's in the other room. I was cleaning up in here today. All right, Jim, for you, sir. Thank you all for coming. It's good timing, too. I'm about to read a whole bunch. <laughs> okay. Have I ever considered the infamous Malort? I have to apologize. I don't know what that is. Sorry, I don't. Okay, I'm going to read something pretty important now. 
And this is exactly what I read to the characters, particularly to Artemis, on the day that we played this section of the game. Again, I'm going to read it to you the same way I read it to her. Over the past six days, you've spent much of your time as you did in Arduel, speaking with other clerics of your adventures and attempting to inspire them to spread the word of the gods throughout this new world. After a particularly long day, you are happy to finally get some rest. Your last session went on much longer than you'd planned, so you sent word to your friends that you'd be spending the night at the temple, which, as we've discussed, is something that Artemis has done many times. She has a room there. If she's doing temple stuff, she'll send a temple artist and the knowledge that Artemis is staying here for the night. Here's her letter. She always signs it. They know it's her. After a quick meal of delicious fruits and cheeses, you nestle down into your guest room's bed and drift off to sleep. Because technically what she stays in is a guest room. It's pretty much hers. Has been for a while, but it's technically in the guest area since she doesn't technically live there. It feels like you'd barely found unconsciousness before you awaken to your name being whispered. You find it hard to open your eyes and you feel groggy and slow. For a moment, you panic, wondering if you've been drugged, and you force yourself to sit up. You finally pry your eyes open, but the bright blue sky makes you squint. You feel the cool, damp grass between your fingers, and looking around, you see that you are in a beautiful valley. Once again, you hear your name whispered. It's coming from the north. You don't know how it's north, you know it's north, but as you can see no sun, you're still certain that that's the north. The voice is soft yet masculine. It calls out to you and you feel drawn towards it. Slowly you pull yourself to your feet and begin to walk in that direction. You walk for days, weeks, years, or maybe it was only moments. It feels like you've been searching your entire life. Finally before you, you see a great and vast forest. The details are blurry, but in the center is a great and blinding light. Again, the voice calls to you, pulling you forward. You begin to run and run. Your lugs burn, but you can't stop. The light gets closer and closer until you finally reach him and bask in his glowing inviting light. You feel love in his healing powers as it washes over you, and you fall to your knees and weep. Rise, my daughter, the god Tavian says. Rise and hear my words. Again you pull yourself to your feet to stand before he whom you've pledged your life to serve. Your heart is pure, he says, and you have never denied the responsibilities before you. You have fought and died in the service of the light. You have brought hope to the people and spread my word to the faithful. Slowly tears begin to fall from his eyes. Like tiny blue diamonds, they fall on the ground, and you are crushed to see his sadness. There is an evil to the north, 
a land of hopelessness and sorrow, a place where the weak are oppressed and the faithful are slain, a place of growing darkness. His tears continue to fall and they begin to form a small puddle at his feet. A smile comes to his lips, but it is in the very darkest that the light will shine the greatest. I have chosen you to be my light, Artemis. You must gather your allies and head to the north. Together with your allies, you will bring hope to the hopeless. And in my tears, you will bring, I'm oh, sorry, you will spread the love and healing of my word. Looking down, you find yourself in a clear blue water to your knees. You look back up to see Tavian rising into the air. Behind him, you see a great and powerful chapel, a temple. You know it is a place where great deeds and words of hope are given, a place where the sick and weak may come for healing, a place that will be your home. North, you must go, my child. Through my tears, you will achieve great things, and you will find the answer to your question that you have been seeking the location of the source of the great merge. Your own tears fall from your eyes as you are filled with the blessings of your God and the joy of being able to serve him. As you feel yourself slowly falling backwards from the light and the grip of consciousness pulling you to waken, you hear that beautiful voice once more. North, my child, all you seek will be found there. Your eyes open and you see only the ceiling of your room. Your eyes are wet with your own tears and one single thought repeats in your mind. North, you whisper, to Moonbrook. So that's exactly what I read to Artemis the day we played that. I won't say it's the best writing in the world, but I was proud of it. Um, and she was shocked because they did not see that coming. I hinted not to it at all. Immediately, Artemis throws clothes on, <laughs> awkwardly, the best she can, and rushes from the room. The first Templar she finds, she says that she must speak with Sister Mara immediately. It is of the utmost importance, hell, even an emergency. It's only a few moments before she's invited into Sister Mara's room, who again also looks a little bedeviled because she just got out of bed herself. It's late at this point. Artemis tells her story of the dream. She remembers every single detail of what happened. Sister Mara is amazed, but completely believes. She said over the past day she had felt the growing warmth of the god and had felt his light closer than normal. So she had, fenced, she had sensed the god. She didn't know what it meant being the highest ranked person there. She's going to sense that. And with the merge being what it is and the gods not being able to walk or to come to the world specifically, it would have taken an insane amount of that god's power energy to push a message through directly to one of their followers. That's, that's not little stuff. And just looking 
And just looking at Artemis right now, she's like, I can see his aura around you. I can see that you were touched by his power. I doubt not a word of what you said. Tell it to me again. And she grabs a pen. She starts jotting down stuff. Notes of what she saw and what was said. When she's done... Oh, hello, Patches. When she's done, she's like, I ask you to return to your room and speak to no one. I must speak with Brother Bart, Brother Lycos about this. This is no small act. And this is a great thing for the God to speak directly to you. I need to have counsel with them before I give you counsel of what should be done. Please return to your room here and wait for me. Which Artemis is like, okay. She's at this point so mind blown. She goes back to her room. At this point it's like 4 or 5 in the morning. She was actually asleep for a lot longer than it felt. Um, but she sits there for an hour or two. The sun slowly comes up. And she's wide awake. There's no falling back asleep at this point. Um, a, t- a Templar shows and says, Sister Mara has asked you to come with me. Goes there, goes again to Brother Bart's personal room. Mara is there and says, please tell him everything you told me. Which again, she then goes through and explains all that stuff. Bart, Bart, Bart says yes. He goes, I too can see the God's light around you. Although I can see that it is slowly, you know, it's still there. It's not as bright as it was as Mara saw earlier. Um... This is big stuff. We're going to have to talk about this. So basically he's like, I would recommend that you return to your friends and you tell them of what has happened. Give us some time and then come back. She says, okay. So she does. She's given a carriage at this point. She's rushed back to home. She tells her friends about everything happened. It's still pretty early. She wakes them all up. Tells them what's going on and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, wow. And Dandy, of course, all sorts of questions. Really? What did he look like? What did he say? What was he dressed? Did he smell good? What kind of shoes was he wearing? Like, Dandy's all just questioning and stuff. Talks about the North and how even right as she's sitting here, she feels this strong pull to go towards the North. Um, as expected, later in the afternoon, there's a message asking her to return to the temple, um, which she does. And she meets in this situation, she's meeting with uh, both Bart and Mara. Lycos is currently guarding the box. They tell her that they've been speaking a lot about what this is going on. And again, they have absolutely no doubt of her vision and the importance of Tavian's words. In fact, these words should not be denied, and they think that Artemis should leave immediately. As soon as she can make arrangements, she needs to head to the north. And she's really, you think that's what I should do? And she goes, well, you're not the only one that had contact this past evening. Artemis goes, really? Who else? What happened? And she says, two other people also had dreams, though nowhere near as powerful as yours. We doubt very little that they were also from Tavian himself. Um, one of them is actually a Templar serves here in the temple. And the other is another cleric of Tavian, though uh, a relative novice. In other words, very low-leveled. They have also felt the pull to the north. And we feel that it is imperative that they go with you. Our biggest question is whether or not we should send the army with you. We could send a thousand men strong and have you march north. We could have that done in 24 hours if we need to. But the concern is 
if you're being sent to a land of that nature far to the north, it didn't tell you to bring an army. It told you to bring your companions. And while we feel these two other people, uh, for the record, one's name is Lucas, a 54-year-old human Templar knight who has served this temple for close to 20 years. And one is Misha, a 16-year-old human female who is also a cleric of Tavian. Both had visions and they heard words of the god, but in their dreams all they saw was Artemis and that their job was to be by her side and protect her. That one's specifically for Lucas. After we've discussed it, we've determined that we think you and your friends should take these two and you should go. We should make as little noise about this as possible. These are great things, but they're saying there's an evil growing to the north and an army marching towards it might not be the best thing. Because again, who knows what this is? Again, or how far north? You could be gone for six months. Sending a Paxwell army away for six months away from the city, not the best thing for Paxwell. You understand. As well as if something up there, you know, you guys sneaking in, you guys got a habit of that. Uh, sneaking in with a thousand people, not very easy. So we think that you and your companions should go. Artemis agrees wholeheartedly. Uh, she, she knew she was leaving the moment she woke up before she talked to Mara. Regardless of what anybody said, even her friends, if she had to walk, Artemis knew she was going to the north. Now the clerics say that they will help in any way possible. Okay, They'll provide them, her and her friends, with all the food, you know, supplies, which they do all the time anyway, so that's not a big deal. They'll give everything they need, um, but she's just going to take the two friends. Um, they also supplied them with several potions of healing, cup, several six potions of or bottles of holy water, and a couple of scrolls of miscellaneous cleric spells that at the time I, I rolled to see what they were. Um, I didn't pick anything specific. They weren't chosen because she needed these spells. It was just because she needed that. Uh, and they can assist in any other way, and I put in brackets within reason. You know, they're like, can you send us a dragon? No, we're not giving you a dragon. You know. um, but they also said, we recommend you keep this secret. There are a lot of things going on in the world right now, and a lot of dangerous forces around this area, some of them are inquiring about you. you. You've told us that yourself. I think it'd be best if we kept this on the down low as much as possible. And as a last thing that they want to mention, that already, even before the dream, both she and Bart had discussed and had decided that they were going to promote Artemis to the rank of elder sister, which is a very huge honor. Um, normally, you know, that takes a lot. With her, all her actions, they'd already decided to do that. So she was going to be an elder sister. Um, and these, now that the gods talk to her, they're like, well, obviously we have to do that now. Normally there'd be ceremony involved with this, there'd be some fanfare, but in this situation they think it's best that maybe we deal with that later. Know that to us, you have that, you know, that's that's your your title now, you, you can definitely claim all of that. And when it comes to clerics, uh, the way I normally show that is normally they wear their colored robes matching their god's colors. And then the trim can be different. The type of runes, sigils, and how many, sometimes it can be stripes on the trim, could be uh, things you wear on your, or around your neck. They're different things that will show your rank within the religion of your, of, of, of your god. It's not always the same. Tavian and the god, goddess of light, Minara, they may have very different statuses. But to other clerics, they're going to see that and know you're of a rank. Uh, so 
she's that rank, but there's that. So, at this point, um, she's like, yeah, she'll go back and tell her friends, who are all very excited for her promotion, because that's very cool. Artemis has always, you know, been very holy and such, and, and this is a great honor for her. Much like Darsh becoming a noble, this is a pretty big deal for her. Um, they also decide that they're going to go to the Mage Tower before they go, see if they've heard anything about the source. In these seven days, they haven't heard much from the Mage Tower, but they go there, and they find Tobias. Um, and they ask him, listen, we're going to go north for unknown reasons. Uh, have you ever heard of a town or a place or a country called Moonbrook? Does that mean anything to you? He's like, no, but I can look into it for you. And they're like, hey, you're our friend. We're going to tell you all this stuff. And so they tell Tobias everything. Um, and he goes, I know that the direction, at least the direction she's being pulled, which is basically almost straight north. He goes, there is no Tower of the Brotherhood. The Brotherhood of Magic, by the way, is the name of the towers that he's mentioned of. Because that's the main wizard organization here. But in the rest of the world, there could be other ones. Okay? From different worlds, right? The Brotherhood of Magic is what he's wearing. They know that there's no tower or connection to any Brotherhood of Magic or known Mage Tower in that direction that they're aware of. Um, let's see here. Also says, uh, he also agrees, I forgot to say this, hearing the adventure and such, and he goes, this is big stuff. Um, if it's okay with you, and if it's okay with, you know, my bosses, my lady, uh, Limia, I would like to accompany you. And they're like, it's always good to have a wizard around, and Tobias has been overwhelmingly trustworthy, so they're like, yes, please. He gets permission, Lemia's like, of course, this is big sauce, definitely, you can go as well. And so they get him. So right now, the party, as we know it, is going to be Artemis with Lucas and Misha, Mercy and Ulrich, Darsh, because he's not taking any of his crew, and Dandy and Tobias. So that's who's going into the party, which is one of the largest parties they've had in a while. Now they have three NPCs hanging out with them, right? They got the two that are now with Artemis, Lucas and the one with uh, Mercy Ulrich and, 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 and Misha. So, Dandy checks in with the guild. They don't know anything about a Moonbrook. They don't know anything that far north. They, there really hasn't been any major kingdoms or settlements that anyone's really found. Up north, after you get past the Valley of uh, Sacrifice, it's mostly empty area. Up to the north... East, there's, of course, New Gullyville, which is old New York, and then up past that is the Centaurs, but that's not straight north. They don't really know anything that's straight north. No one's really gone, found anything up there, no one's gone that much further. Um, so, uh, Artemis gets to meet with Lucas and with Misha. Now, I brought them up, because we're going to get to see what they look like today. So, as always, I choose someone famous to represent those characters. All right. Uh, oh, let me go here. Uh, did the two, drawing a blank on their names, map makers never venture up there? Mm. Zach and Twill. Very good question. There are some maps of that area, but nothing that showed a, like a big civilization. There's no castles or keeps or big cities. So them flying around up there, the forests and streams, they've got all that kind of stuff. But there's nothing on any of their maps of a large settlement or city or kingdom or mage tower anything of size. There may be some small villages and stuff, but they don't always put those on their map because uh, sometimes they don't want to land as a dragon in the middle of a four-house community or a farmstead. Um, 
but there's nothing of size in that direction. You're very welcome. Thank you for the question. So let's go ahead and let's take a look here. So some of you guys are going to re recognize these people. Lucas Bingham, a knight, a Templar of Tavian, by the way. Sworn to service of the God of Healing. And has been a Templar here in the Temple of Paxiwal for over 20 years. Misha, on the other hand, young girl, only 16, uh, has only within the past year even entered into the ranks of clerics. Very inexperienced, not high in power. It's odd that she was chosen. But she was. And who are we to disagree with the words of the gods? So these pictures will be up on the website uh, within the next day or so if you're listening to this later. Um, on OnlyDraven.com, there's a tab at the top. If you click Characters, uh, you'll find the pictures of different characters, actor-wise and actresses, and not always actors, famous people that I've used to designate those people if you want to get a visual reference. All right? So there's Lucas and Misha. All right, good deal. Back, back in black. So, let's see here. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Here we go. Uh, isn't she the girl from Game of Thrones? Yes, that's her. That's her. I actually didn't... The person... I, I never really had someone I really liked for her. Um, I think I chose her about a year, year and a half ago, I want to say. Just while going through... Because there was a point when I was going to do this long before I did on YouTube. I had the idea to stream this on YouTube a lot longer ago. Um... And so I went through and I started finding people for some of these characters. Some of them we come across, I have any, I still don't have anyone. So sometimes I'm actually searching for them currently, looking for to, to fill in some of the people that, uh, because you know, new people pop up now and again. Um, we'll find somebody, right? Um, so yes. Uh, uh, I'm thinking... with me a moment. Yeah, I'm thinking that may be where we... Because they basically set up their stuff to go. They they build all their supplies and things of that nature. Um, but now they know that there's Artemis has been chosen by the god to go north because there's an evil up there that it's her job to take care of. He picked her and these other two schmoes and her friends to go up there and deal with this evil in the north. Um, at this point... The next part is the beginning of that travel and the adventure and what they come across up there. Um, but because that leads into some stuff right away, I don't want to get into the middle of something and start. So we're going to call that the stopping point for today. Uh, we've been running till two and a half hours, which is about the normal time I try to keep these. If they're too long, then I have to break them up. In case anybody's asked, because I've been asked before. If they're much longer than two and a half hours, then the file size is too big to put on iTunes or Spotify. And so I have to break them into two segments as an audio podcast. The only one I've ever had to do that with, which was, I believe, episode 18. And that was a big one. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but I know I, I ran three and a half hours on that one, and it's almost two full podcasts. So on iTunes and Spotify, there's an 18 part one and an 18.2. So, even though this is episode 21, it'll actually be the 22nd uh, thing on, on Spotify. It'll still going to be labeled as 21. So, if you're listening to this later, 18 has two parts. If you missed one, I'd recommend checking that out. 
But because we're going to jump into some serious business here very, very quickly, the next section moves big because we're getting very close to an end. I'm not going to be any more specific than that. But we're getting to a big end. So um, I'm very excited at what comes next. This was the big part I wanted to get to. I wanted to get to Artemis's dream because what's about to happen now is going to determine a large part of their future forever. Uh, this is going to have this next section is going to have an effect on all of the characters' existence. Stories and stories and stories. So um, we will jump into that two weeks from today. Uh, as always, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in two Sundays. Uh, let's see here. We got here. Um, and I thank you. Uh, that was when they fought the pirate lich. And speaking to Dandy, ever get her cool hat? She does have a cool hat, which uh, she keeps losing the hat. She keeps having to get new hats. Early on, her problem was she kept breaking and losing hoop hacks. She stopped doing that and started getting different big hats. And each hat had a bigger feather in it. But in battle, of course, it would fall off as soon as she started doing little flippity-doos. And a lot of times she'd get back to it and it would be trampled or ripped and she'd be all mad about it for the rest of the adventure. But she did get her big hat, I promise. Um, but yeah, we're going to call that a stop for tonight. Now, again, if you come up with any other questions, feel free to throw them in the comment section of this video. Even if you're listening to this later or watching it months from now, I do my best to try to answer those and get back with them as much as I can. Um, you can also go to my website, onlydraven.com. Near the top of the page, there's a button you can click on to join our Discord channel. Uh, there's a thread there specifically for Merge Worlds. Of course, we talk about all sorts of stuff and video games there. We'd love to have you. Everyone is welcome. Um, if you did enjoy the stream today and you had a good time, please be sure to click like. Uh, but most importantly, if you haven't already, please hit subscribe. That way you can see all our videos, streams, tutorials, and such as they come out. And again, I recommend checking out the website. Uh, all my social links are there. Follow me at Twitter at, at OnlyDraven. Um, what else? Um, 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 what else have we got? Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of stuff on there as well. All the old episodes of this, the pictures of the characters. Definitely recommend checking that out if you haven't done that already. Um, you'll also find the ODG store. Let me do my uh, cheap commercial here real quick. Uh, you'll find a whole bunch of cool merchandise on the ODG store. Bam! Including the Merged World shirt that I'm actually wearing right now. That's the Fire Moon symbol and the official symbol. The Draven's Dragon shirt you'll see there is the uh, official t-shirt of our membership program and then just some other stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of cool stuff there as well. Um, next Jackbox. I'm not sure if we're going to have one this week. We might. It's just going to depend on how my wife's surgery goes tomorrow. Um, next Sunday night is the members only monthly stream. So uh, those of you who are members, there'll be a Jackbox night specifically for members next Sunday. Uh, that is one of the perks of the membership program. If you'd like to know more about that program, just click the join button on my YouTube channel and it'll show you all the perks and all the bonuses that come with a membership. Um, but thank you all very much for coming by. I appreciate you. A special thank you to my members. Uh, you all being part of that program really is what lets me to be able to do cool stuff like have prizes and contests and bring in new games to the channel. So uh, you guys participating in that and then the people who are making donations. Like today we've had donations from uh, um, several people. Today we got them from Katzen again. She's been throwing that. All that stuff really, I try to put all that back in the channel. So I appreciate everyone who participates in that. It definitely helps out a whole lot. And as always, an extra special thank you to my moderators for helping me make the world go round. All right. We're going to call that a day. Thank you again for coming. You folks have yourselves a wonderful evening. And thanks for visiting Merch Worlds with me. See you in a couple weeks.